That was not a good football game, but the Sooners won, so the result was ultimately what we wanted. Winning will always and forever make everything better. Many of you know that I work at News 9 in Oklahoma City, so on game days, I'm at work. My task Saturday was to help Steve McGee put all the shows together in-house back in Oklahoma City, so no, I was not in Dallas at the game. While watching the fourth quarter unfold, co-workers gathered around the sports area inside the News 9 building, and a few of them were exasperated by what they were seeing from Oklahoma down the stretch. I can't believe what's happening, my co-workers kept saying. Every snap, you could see their frustrations mount as Texas climbed back into the game and eventually forced overtime. I'd guess my co-workers represent a large portion of Sooner Nation. That's overwhelmingly what it's like to be a fan. And it's a huge reason why sports are so popular and important. People care. People pour their time and emotions into their team. I get it. Don't get me wrong. I care. I do. And of course, I get emotional at times. However, Saturday wasn't one of those games for me. I sat back, watched the fourth quarter and overtime unfold, and you know what? I was comfortable, not stressed out at all. You see, OU had already told us who they are prior to Saturday's Red River showdown. Against K-State, the Sooners got a lead, a big lead, but couldn't put the Wildcats away and lost. Against Iowa State, the Sooners got a lead, double digits in the second quarter, up by a touchdown in the fourth, but couldn't put the Cyclones away and lost again. Both games, the offense was strong for large stretches before struggling in the fourth quarter, and the defense was strong in the first half of both games middling in the third before collapsing in the fourth. So when the exact same thing began to happen in the Texas game, why would I allow myself to get emotional? We'd already seen this movie twice. Fortunately, this sequel had a different ending. OU actually won. But I do got to tell you guys, if the Sooners were 3-0 and entering that game, I would have been an absolute mess throughout the fourth quarter and overtime. It's funny how 1-2 and two changes your outlook. There wasn't any playoff implications on Saturday, just a rivalry game between two programs, one of which has woefully underachieved for years, and another who is underachieving, in my opinion, here in 2020. The way the Texas program is going right now, Oklahoma should beat them every time. And to OU's credit, the Sooners are virtually doing just that, 9-3 and three against the Longhorns since 2010. Now, of course, I'm glad Oklahoma beat Texas. But the way the Sooners won was frustrating and annoying and consistent with what we've seen so far in 2020. It's bizarre. This team could be very easily 4-0 and ranked in the top 10 along with Oklahoma State. This team could also very easily be 1-3. Now, I think Oklahoma is much closer to a 4-0 team at this point. You can see the talent oozing off of this team every single game. This team can easily win out, but it could also lose a few more based on the game script the Sooners continue to use in Big 12 play. Now, for me, I'm intrigued by what kind of team this looks like the final six games of the regular season. Will the Texas win change anything, or will it just be more of the same moving forward? If I had to guess, I'd say that more of the same moving forward would be the smart bet. After all, we've seen the same movie three times in a row. If Hollywood gives us the same formula three times in a row, I'm going to expect the same thing in the next movie. But hey, maybe there's some great writers for this next Sooner sequel, and they give us a twist at the end that nobody sees coming. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest.
Bollinger in the shotgun. He's got it. Sooners twist up front. He has time. Lob toward the end zone. It's intercepted. Trey Brown. You cannot hitch the wagon. Oklahoma wins in four overtimes. <laughs> A Red River showdown for the ages. Toby Rowland on the call of Trey Brown's game-winning interception in quadruple overtime last Saturday at the Cotton Bowl. OU beats its biggest rival, 53-45. I want to zoom right through all the opening stuff here, so here we go. Go and like the West of Evers Facebook page to stay up to date with the show. Follow Grant on Twitter at GrantBenson25. I am at Lee Benson News 9. Give us a follow if you'd like iTunes, feel free to leave us a rating and or a review. I've been told that that more positive ratings and reviews help the show out and help people like you uh, find the show easier. And uh, you know, other listeners that haven't found the show yet, I've heard that it helps them locate the show. So I don't know how that works, but that's what I've been told. Time to bring in Grant here, and I'll just plug the Inside OU podcast right now because uh, Grant was a guest on the show with Brady Trantham earlier this week. I thought you guys did a great job breaking down the Oklahoma-Texas game. I listened to it last night, and I, I enjoyed it. It was, it was, it was snappy, it was, it was concise, it was efficient, and it had good, had good content. Grant, I think you represented the West of Everest team very well, and I look forward to addressing some of your takes from that episode. So uh, if you want to hear from Grant on a different podcast, you can download the Inside OU podcast. Brady and Keegan do a nice job with that. So Grant, how are you doing today? Doing well. Of course, I appreciated uh, Brady inviting me onto that podcast. It was a lot of fun. I am now your resident media member. I am part of the media corner on their podcast. So if anyone ever asks, yes, give me a press pass, Lee. I need one for sure. It wouldn't do you any good right now. Not this season. Would you be surprised to know that our or surprised to find out that Brady and I's conversation lasted about an hour. So he had to edit edit me down quite a bit there. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i could tell there was some edits and i i figured it was uh it was abridged the edits were much appreciated it definitely definitely helped it flow a lot better no it was good it was good so you guys mostly discussed kind of the end of the game and i'm sure that he, obviously he has editorial control so he decided on what the most interesting parts of your guys discussion would be for his podcast listeners and and again i thought it was interesting it was about 25 minutes or so it was good Obviously, we have a lot longer of a a setting here, and in the past, we have gone through literally every single drive of these games. I don't know if we should do it necessarily that way. However, I took a bunch of notes the same way I always do. I rewatched it last night. By the way, the rewatch was exhausting, absolutely exhausting, but I took a lot of notes. I do have a – I haven't had this in a while. I have at least one, maybe two. I can't remember if I had two. uh, Film time with Lee – um, I guess segments I, I found plays that were really cool that I like that I'd like to break down for you podcast listeners if you're new to the show I used to do that a little bit more than I have in the last couple of seasons but uh, yeah we can do that as we go through so did you go back and rewatch and take a bunch of notes like like I did I didn't take a bunch of notes but I have completely rewatched the game I did not uh, I didn't think it was as exhausting as as you did they beat Texas. I enjoy that game. I, I'm going to enjoy rewatching that game for the rest of my life now. They won. Ugh, really? Ugh. Yeah. That, I, I, I would be okay with never seeing that game again. It was not great. 
it was a dumpster fire inside of a dumpster fire, but it was an OU Texas game in which Oklahoma won and lots of crazy dramatic things happened. You're damn right I'm going to go back and rewatch that game for years, for sure. See, we're definitely different. I, I don't find a whole lot of joy and uh, fulfillment in rewatching old OU games. I find it, uh, I, I might, you know, if, if one's on TV or something, or I might go back and watch a play or two of one just for the quick nostalgia, but I, I don't find any sort of satisfaction or interest in that. And I know you do. So uh, I, that's where we differ when it comes to rewatching stuff. I like rewatching things immediately that I didn't get to see super in depth with a naked eye right away. And so for the podcast, I do it. But uh, I can say with complete confidence that I will probably, you know what? No, I will never watch that game again. I will say that right now. Not going to happen. Because I don't see the point. <laughs> I just don't. Yeah, I guess. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm maybe I'm weird in that. But yeah, I, I go back and rewatch games all the time because, I mean, it's, it's, it's the same deal as like turning on like an episode of TV that you really love over and over. It's the, it's the same bit. I guess I, I, to me, it's different. It doesn't feel the same way it with sports. It's like, I already know what happened. Like I'm a big guy. I don't rewatch things a lot. Anyways, I don't rewatch movies a whole lot. There's only like a handful of movies I'll see over and over again. And definitely with sports, I know the outcome already. I, I mean, if there's a couple of plays that I remember that I want to check out, I'll check it out on YouTube or something, but an entire game. Yeah, that, that doesn't, that I doesn't think you might be lot. in the, I think you might be in the minority with that one. All right. Uh, I mean, it doesn't matter. I'm just saying it's just, it's, I'm fine like, with that. I'm more efficient with my time then. But like, for instance, like I mean, two hours watching something I've already seen before. The whole idea of the whole idea of watching stuff back that you haven't seen. You know, they made an entire TV channel out of that called ESPN Classic. That's, yes. I'm just saying, yeah, it's it, it's a popular thing among sports fans. Oh, I, I have not heard of that channel. Uh, maybe I'll. I don't. It doesn't it. exist anymore. I don't think. But oh, okay. Yeah, but yeah, that's kind of an old uh, going back in uh, back into the archives. You guys remember ESPN Classic? It was awesome. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think it does exist anymore. It's because they all exist. Because it's channels, all on YouTube now. If you want to watch it, every single game that was on ESPN Classic, there is a you know a file that you can watch instantly online. It's 2020. It's pretty cool. Yeah. All right, so let's start from the beginning since we only have one game to talk about here. It's a bye week. No immediate opponents for Oklahoma, so we can spend the entire show talking about OU Texas and the beginning of this game was pretty horrible Oklahoma gets the ball first and immediately goes backwards I, I mean yeah it's it's one series obviously you want to start better but um, that didn't go well and then you got Buki who committed a, a penalty which has been uh, Buki's thing this season as we can get into later in the show uh, committing penalties and things were going pretty poorly but then out of nowhere Two plays in for Texas' offense, Oklahoma forces a turnover, which is always uh, one of the most like surprising, exciting things as an Oklahoma football supporter because turnovers, let me, let me say a different word, takeaways don't happen very often, Grant. It was also, Lee, uh, this was just kind of an interesting little nugget that I realized on the rewatch. That fumble happened on Texas's most successful running play involving a running back. Oh, okay. Interesting. That was so, the only that was the, that was the longest run by a Texas running back in the game, like thirteen you yards. Could, you could potentially say the same thing for Oklahoma's fumble that TJ Pleasure had later later in the game because I think that might have been Oklahoma's best run of the game. They had a few. They had a few good runs, but that was one of the better ones. But that's neither here nor there. But that's a good point, though. That's good foreshadowing. I mean, I, I only say the, that the just to make the point effort. that 
Yeah, I only say that just to make the point that I mean OU and and OU's defense in terms of shutting down like what Texas wanted to do and like between the tackles running the, Texas could not run the ball at all on Saturday when they handed it no. off to the running back. It was a complete waste of time for them. And unlike the past couple of games for the majority of the game when Oklahoma was stopping the run pretty well, which Oklahoma did stop the run really well against Kansas State and relatively well against Brees Hall and Iowa State. I thought, I mean, statistically, but what that did, though, especially later in those games, is that Oklahoma was gashed on the back end because I really do think Oklahoma sells out a lot to stop the run and puts a lot of pressure on its defensive backs to play tight man coverage and not give up big plays because they're kind of selling out against the run. And against Texas, they stopped the run really well, and Oklahoma, for the most part, covered Texas really well. And for three quarters if not three and a half quarters, Oklahoma's defense was, I mean, holding, well, I, I didn't do the stat, uh, the numbers I should have, but I mean, at the six minute mark or so of the fourth quarter, I bet Texas was averaging something like three or four yards per play. I, don't um, know. I mean, it was, it had to have been something like that. After, um, after Sam Ellinger threw his interception. So that was after uh, Woody Washington had the interception in the end zone with like five minutes or so left. At that time, and that was even after kind of a 60 or 70-ish yard drive by Texas, Texas was averaging 3.7 yards per play. That's very I mean, that's, bad. That's extremely bad. That's a, that's, that's a really good defensive performance. And that's great for Oklahoma's defense. And Oklahoma's defense, we talked about it a very little bit of, amount of time last week. OU's defense was awesome against Texas last year, and yet the game was close. And this game was also very close, and Oklahoma could have lost. So it's weird that back-to-back years, Oklahoma's defense, for the most part, dominated Texas, and yet Texas still found a way to stay in the game. And obviously, as we go on here, we'll probably get into why and and how Texas was able to stay alive in that game. As I'm looking through my notes here, going drive-by-drive in the first quarter, immediately what stands out is that the Oklahoma running game, best game of the year for Oklahoma running backs, best game of the year for the Oklahoma offensive line. Lincoln Riley said it probably was the offensive line's best game. They had three runs in the game, Grant, of 20-plus yards by the running backs. I think Pledger had two, and I think Major had one. Unfortunately, one of those runs by Pledger was that uh, was a fumble, so they turned it over. But uh, previously, in the previous three games, OU running backs only had one run of 20-plus yards. So they tripled the amount of explosive run plays by running backs in one game. Still weirdly, I bet if we dove more into the numbers, we could figure out why. Oklahoma still didn't even average four yards per carry in that game in which they ran for over 200 yards. So they're still not busting off as many chunk yards plays as we are used to. But I can think of why. I can think of a few reasons why. Okay. Um, well, they, they did go backwards a couple of times, whether it be sacks. I know that uh, the reverse late in the game lost them some yardage. So there's some negative plays there that don't help out the running backs. Tanner Mordecai lost ideas? like 16 oh. yards when he just dropped the ball. Good, good call. That's, that's also true. Yes. Um, man, I had one more. Oh, I was gonna say, but individually though, like uh, TJ Pledger, he averaged six yards a pop. And at one point, I remember what, as I was watching the game back last night, Oklahoma. It was like in the fourth quarter, I think, or maybe late third. I think it was after their, might have been after their drive to go up thirty-one seventeen. Pledger was averaging something like eight, eight, maybe almost nine yards per carry. So. He had a really nice game. TJ Pledger was very, very good outside of that fumble. And listening to you and Brady talk, I know that you felt the same way about Pledger. I thought Pledger had a great game. 
He looked really good. You can um, once Ramondre Stevenson comes back, you can definitely see the value of Pleasure as a change of pace guy for sure. A guy that you bring on maybe on third downs, he catches the ball really nicely. In fact, after watching that, I really, really want them to incorporate him into the passing game more. Um, in terms of like throwing, just throwing little swing passes to him into the flat, um, I know, stuff that you would see in the NFL a lot uh, for running backs catching the ball to the backfield. I think TJ Pleasure would really excel at. Um, and so while he's the main guy, I, I I really want them to get him the ball more out of the backfield in the pass game. He's real. He's he's a good player. I I, I think he has some physical limitations. Um, but in terms of what what OU needs right now, I I, I think he's able to give it to him. Um, I'm really impressed by how well he picks up blitzers uh, coming into the backfield, and that and that's really valuable. And I use that. I, you can you can use that. He can he can fake a block and then he can leak out from that out of the backfield. I, college linebackers aren't aren't going to know how to defend that. Um, yeah, I just I I see a lot of high level uses for TJ Pleasure after that game. The same really can't be said for Marcus Major, but you know we we can get into that later. Yeah, Pleasure was really good, and and immediately after the Missouri State game, I put my foot down and said we're going to probably have it be Stevenson and McGowan for the majority of the year. And granted, McGowan was uh, was out. He was injured. I believe there was uh, I think he was in concussion protocol. He didn't play that great against Iowa State and he has some limitations and obviously health is important. So if he's unavailable, uh, that's going to obviously put him uh, put him backwards. But perhaps maybe it's going to be Ramondre and TJ Pledger as the, the two main guys, because Pledger certainly has improved. And uh, I believe you made the point on the podcast uh, on Brady's podcast that as the game wore on and he started getting more and more carries, he started kind of getting more of feel of the game and flow of the game. And you get gotten more of a rhythm and he was hitting those holes and he was, he was seeing things a lot better than he had in the previous three games. I thought, or I guess two games cause he didn't, he didn't play in the Missouri state game. And he obviously had more opportunities than Marcus major got major had a couple of nice runs, but certainly uh, pleasure definitely stood out. And there's a reason why he got the lion's share of carries they gave him the football 22 times. Major got 12, so uh, you know, um, not too bad uh, between the two players. And uh, it was nice to see Pledger play as well as he did. Let's see. Uh, I will say this. So Oklahoma's first scoring drive when they went, went up 3 to nothing, we saw, again, near the goal line issues where they got down there and they couldn't punch it in. And here was the... The play sequence, once they got the ball inside the five-yard line, first down and goal, they did an RPO, incompletion to Stogner. Okay, like, I get it. Then they ran that quarterback draw play that Jalen Hurts ran a lot and Kyler ran a lot, where it looks like it's a very, it's a basically like the GT counter, but designed as a quarterback run. And he gets down to the one-yard line. Spencer can't score. Then on third and goal from the one, they do a quick out to Charleston Rambo, and it was totally blown up by B.J. Foster. He read it perfectly. He came off of his man near the goal line, smashed Rambo, incomplete pass. Oklahoma kicks a field goal. I, we saw issues and then punching the ball in, getting the ball you know, into the end zone down in the, at Iowa State early on in the game. Ah, I, I'm not a big fan of these drives inside the five-yard line stalling out and Oklahoma getting field goals instead of touchdowns, Grant. And I liked for them to, to run the ball. And I think later in the game they started running the ball better. But uh, Lincoln Riley, I think he needs to start showing a little bit more confidence in his offensive line and his running backs moving forward. And maybe he will. I hope he does. But the weird thing is, is that during other points of the game, he does show confidence in his players when he makes decisions. Like, 
I, I don't I don't understand how the same coach can make the decision to throw the ball on third and nine with three minutes to go up seven there. Uh, not three minutes to go, with less than two minutes to go, and then not go for it from the one-and-a-half-yard line when it's 0-0 zero to zero in the first quarter. It makes no sense to me. Is there any sort of... Lo- and, you know, I'm, I'm sure he would come and say it's, it's a flow of the game thing. We're in a big rivalry game. I wanted to get points. I hate the idea yeah, of, like, I, ah, I just wanted to get points. I just wanted to get points. Uh, it's... I don't I know how many times too. I have to say in the Big 12 that a field goal is a loss. Scoring field goals will get you beat. Or kicking field goals will get you beat, as we saw, you know, in overtime as well. But um <laughs> Yeah. I just yeah, that's that's questionable decision number one from Lincoln Riley in this game. And we will count them as we go on. <laughs> yeah, I just I'm I absolutely just as a philosophy, I absolutely hate the idea of kicking a field goal in that situation under any circumstance. The only time yeah, I would kick in that situation is if there is three seconds left in the game and you're either down by two or less or it's tied. The only time I would kick in that situation. So yeah, Oklahoma goes up 3 nothing, and then it looks like Oklahoma gets, up, uh, gets another turnover. Trey Brown picks off Ellinger. I believe first play from scrimmage on that ensuing drive. But Trey Brown is flagged for holding, and I know that Lincoln Riley came out, and I believe Roy, uh, Roy Manning came out, the cornerback's coach, and, and uh, I don't know if Trey said anything, but uh, they all said this was a bad call. It was not a good call. They, they took that away. I know that I think after the game, Trey said something like they, um, you know, they, they took that away from him, kind of inferring that it was a bad call. And the replay that the broadcast showed was a terrible replay. It was, it was the worst possible replay to show anything. It doesn't look like anything happened on it. So if you go off the replay, they did the sky cam, or I guess the end zone cam, it doesn't look like anything happens. It looks like a good play by Trey Brown. But if you watch it live, just the television version, you can see. You can see Trey Brown reach up with his left hand, and he tugs and he grabs and yanks at the receiver's right shoulder pad, and it helps Brown get some leverage to step inside the throw. And yes, was it ticky-tack? Was it not that big of a deal? Yes, 100%. But by the letter of the law, it was a penalty. And when we constantly see Trey Brown grabbing and tugging and pulling at jerseys all season long, he did it all throughout the, I shouldn't say all throughout, but he did it in the Iowa State game as well. To me, it's just a bad habit at this point, and I think he, he pays for it. If he gets away from it, gets away with it from time to time, then great. Then they won't throw the flag. But on that particular instance, he got flagged for it. And fortunately, Oklahoma rebounded, got a, got a three and out on the play. Jaden Davis had a really nice drive and coverage that time but I just wanted to bring that up because I I'm a bit I'm a bit concerned whenever and I don't know maybe this is just a public thing but I doubt it I just I doubt it whenever the head coach and the cornerbacks coach is saying that's a bad call that's a bad call whenever if you watch the tape you see him commit a penalty and if they're telling him that's a bad call in my mind I'm afraid that that might be reinforcing bad habits on a player like Trey Brown who has been called for a lot of penalties so far this season and how was he going to stop making these mistakes if he gets if he's told that what he did there wasn't wrong it, yeah I I don't know I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that at all. I just wanted to get that off my chest here at this portion of the game I'll pause in case you have something if not we can move on no I think that's fair um yeah I'm not as upset about that that holding call because I thought when you watch it live I it's it's pretty clear that he did grab him and that's kind of what launched him forward to 
you know, for the interception. Was it like, was it a good hold? Was it really hard to see if you're a ref? Yeah, it was. Like, if you're going to hold someone, that's the best way to do it, for sure. Yes. But I, I, I agree with you in the sense that, yeah, I, I am worried about that developing bad habits, for sure. Um, but also at the same time, if that really was like a reputation call and they wouldn't have called that on just like an average DB in the Big 12, then that's BS. That's BS. Call it the same way for everybody. Reputation calls should not exist. They should I not. Agree. I understand that it's... But when they you talk also about a reputation call, a lot of it is probably mental. I, I get that. Like from, from the referee. But if, if there are referees that are making... That are making like are deciding one way or the other, like, eh, I'm not sure, and doing it because of reputation, they're a terrible official. But I'm not sure if that's what's happening. That's all I have to say about it. So, again, I mean, Oklahoma did a nice job. They got off the field. Jaden Davis was targeted a couple of times on that drive, had some good coverage, had one PBU. He had a nice game. And also, Woody Washington, who we have not talked about, we, we will, he had a great game. He was fantastic. Uh, so Oklahoma gets the football back up three, and Marcus Major comes in and has his best run of the year, explosive run. And I want to throw out some congratulations and some attaboys to Theo Howard out on the perimeter, providing a nice block. I believe earlier in the game, Theo Weiss had a nice perimeter block to help TJ Pledger get out. The, the wide receiver blocking was very, very good against Texas in the running game. And last week, we heard from Lincoln Riley, and he went through everybody. He said, yeah, the running backs can play better. He said the wide receivers can block better. I can make better play calls myself. The offensive line can play better, blah, blah, blah. He was saying the team thing, but he wasn't wrong about it because in the previous games, I have seen wide receivers not block very well in the perimeter. They blocked very well in the perimeter against Texas, and it helped. It, it sprung some guys. And Marcus Major had an explosive play, and he would have scored, and, uh, but I believe he got tripped up by, uh, like, Overshawn or something like that. And that was – man, if he doesn't get tripped up, he's gone, I think, Grant. What did you think? Yeah, I thought maybe he could go uh, if he got – you know, if he wouldn't have gotten tripped up. Of course, the only thing I'm thinking of is that, oh, Ramondre absolutely would have housed that one. I know. Which I know is unf- – I, I, I get it. That's unfair. But Ramondre absolutely would have housed that one. And, and probably well, – Probably the, the TJ Pleasure run in the fourth quarter when they were up 31 to 17. He probably would have housed too, I think. But hmm. I digress. I I, you know, remember I remember that one. I, oh, oh, where he fumbled? No, not where he, where he fumbled. There was one where he, oh. uh, it was still 31 to 17. It was after okay, the Woody yeah. Washington pick. And he kind of scored yep, it through. Yep, that was one of his. Yep, that was a good run. I yeah, he would have, with Ramondre's breakaway speed, that would have been a touchdown. Uh, but. I, you know, I, I know you want to talk about the receivers, and sure, yeah, I'll give them daps all day long. I thought they, I thought they did a good job. Um, I saw, I, I thought, or I saw Theo Weiss getting really aggressive with some of, uh, some of his blocks and the guys in front of him. Um, but man, I, I, I'm glad that Marcus Major was able to score a touchdown. I'm glad he was able to have some positive plays. But man, after watching that game, he's exactly who I thought he was. Uh, he's. He's not a guy who I, I don't think he's ever going to be a prominent player at the University of Oklahoma. I mean, I, I agree. I agree with you. Um, I'm glad, he, like you said, I'm glad he got his touchdown. That's cool for the Millwood guy. Uh, really good kid and everything like that. But, yeah, I mean, he's, he's gotten Missouri State. He got a lot of reps. Didn't look very good. He looked, obviously, a lot better against Texas. But still, there was plenty of uh, no gains and minus one, minus two yard plays. 
And honestly, the only reason why he scored a touchdown is because he was in the game because the previous play, TJ Pledger's helmet popped off. He had to, he had to leave, and they uh, they had to bring Pled- or, uh, Major out there. So if it wasn't for that, who knows if Major if Major would have scored? But you know what? He took advantage of it though. And that's what yeah, that's for the guy. He, he took advantage of it. He read that their hole well, and they GT countered to the uh, boundary, and he scored easily. And it was yeah. I mean, and thankfully the hole was large and obvious. Yeah, but uh, that was later in the game. The score that made it ten nothing. That's actually the the play I wanted to break down because I love that play. We've seen Lincoln Riley run this play before against quarters coverage, and I may have broken down a play like this similarly before in the past. But I wanted to go over it here for all you X's and O's junkies, and I doubt anybody does this. But if you really want to get into it, bring it up on on YouTube and and check out either uh, just the regular broadcast view or they showed a nice Skycam overhead view of it where you can see everything play out. And that's the best way, actually, I think, to watch this. Uh, and this to me, it's it's a quarters beater. And, and Lincoln Riley loves those quarters beaters. I do, too. It's just it's a fantastic play design on the touchdown pass to Marvin Mims. It was 11 personnel. You see Oklahoma in a two by two set. You see Theo Howard and Jeremiah Hall lined up field side and twins. You see Marvin Mims and Brian Darby split out on the boundary side. Mims is in the slot. Brian Darby getting some playing time. Honestly, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be truthful. Didn't know Brian Darby was a player that existed on Oklahoma's roster, but, he, but there he is, uh, getting some playing time against OU Texas. Marcus Major was in the backfield. On this play, Texas is showing a two-deep shell. You see the corner pressing up field side and then a soft corner on the boundary on the play theo howard and hall they both run over routes to different levels of the field they're on the field side now howard's corner sticks with him the cornerback sticks with him the entire way the field safety remember there's two deep safeties he picks up jeremiah hall's over route which then leaves the entire field side from the hash to the sideline wide open for marvin mims to leak into the vacated area and flash wide open. Another little aspect of the play that should not be overlooked. Marcus Major lined up in the backfield. He runs a short out route after leaving that backfield, which gets the field linebacker's attention. He comes up to take Major, which opens it all up behind him for Marvin Mims. I don't think if Major's there running that route, maybe that linebacker sees Mims flashing and he gets depth and he makes it a much more difficult throw for Spencer Rattler. And speaking of Rattler, the last thing in this play, if you watch his, his head and his eyes, he looks to the left the entire time, which is where the ball ends up going. But Mims starts his route, as we know, on the front side of the formation. Rattler's looking to the back side. So he's telling the field safety and everyone on that side of the field that he's looking towards Jeremiah Hall and Theo Howard, who started the play on the field side of the formation. So he's watching those guys and everyone on the defense thinking that he's staring those guys down as they're running their routes across the field. Once Rattler then sees all the defenders go with those guys across the field and sees them clear, he locates Mims, who's leaking out the other way, and then tosses it over to him for the easiest touchdown ever, and it's 10 to nothing. And I'll just say it now, and you all might already probably know this, but the Drake Stoops touchdown later in overtime is the exact same play. So Oklahoma ran that play at least twice in the game. They may have ran it more. Maybe I didn't notice. But as far as uh, I could tell, Oklahoma was two for two on that play call with two touchdowns, Grant. 
Yeah, and they've run they that that's a play that I recognize. They run that play a lot, actually. Um, the one run, that stands they, out to me is uh, Grant Calcaterra scoring a couple of years ago against I think K State. Yep. Kyler yep. hit him, and he was yeah wide open. Yep. So. I mean that's a pretty nasty concept. That's really difficult to defend. I, I kind of that's one of those that you can really only defend if you know that Oklahoma runs that play, and you kind of have to be mindful of it, right? Like, or unless you just have yeah. a really experienced, ultra disciplined defense. But yes, yes. Even then, the whole the whole idea is that everything is happening so quickly that those linebackers, of course, they're going to bite on Marcus Major because he's there. So I, I don't know. Yeah, it's a a really impressive play. Uh, I, I I don't know why they don't just run that play every single time. Wouldn't they score yeah. on every drive on every play? Based on the Texas game, yes. That's how it, that's how it works, right? I'm a pretty big statistical guy, and what I know about statistics is that they never change. So uh, give me 100 percent of something, and that's always going to be 100 percent. That's all I know. Maybe I should ask that to Lincoln Riley next press conference. So, coach, I, I realized. This play you've ran has been undefeated. You always score. Uh, wouldn't general consensus make you feel like you need to run that play every time? All right. I mean, hey, that's what uh, that's that's kind of what I've that's that's at times like when they've when they've really been getting going like on the GT counter play. There's times where it's just like that literally should be the only play that you run. And sometimes Lincoln Riley just doesn't do that. I mean, Wisconsin would do that. Like Iowa would do that, and I, I I know that OU is a better program than them, but I don't know. There's just kind of something about if something is working over and over with like with no reservation whatsoever. Why would you go away with it? Uh, there was a lot well, of that that happened it's last season. A play that I mean, it's a play that that Bradley, It's I mean, it's not like only Oklahoma runs that play. I mean, there's it's a quarters beater. I mean, it's a Good offensive coordinators, I'm sure, have that in their arsenal. And obviously, Riley went to it whenever he knew he could score touchdowns on it or he knew that maybe he'd get the defense in a certain way. I mean, it's not like – I'm not an expert on Texas defensive coverages, but, I mean, who knows how many times they play, you know, quarters coverage or, you know, half the field man, half the field quarter. You know, who knows? You know, maybe, maybe that – I mean, that's got to factor into it as well. And so, yeah, okay, so yeah, I, I just want to make sure that people realize that I'm being facetious, I'm being sarcastic when I say – they, of course, they cannot run that leak concept every single play. I, I'm, I'm, I was trying to kind of segue into more of a conversation about how if something is working over and over again, you should do it, which is kind oh. of a mantra of the run game. Um, you know, and I was gotcha. going to bring up I was going to bring up Bedlam last season as an example. Whereas, no matter what Oklahoma State could do, they just were not getting in the backfield against Oklahoma and were getting blown off the ball constantly. You know they should have ran the ball eighty percent of the time in that game because Oklahoma State couldn't stop it. That that's kind of that was the idea I'm getting along. Okay. And I only want to I only mention that because Lincoln Riley has trouble with that concept sometimes as a play caller. I think I think you know this is the fourth season now he's been the head coach. I think we can all agree that sometimes he goes away from stuff that is working extremely well. Yeah, and we can maybe jump into or, or explain i mean my immediate thought of why that happens from time to time is because if i'm a play caller if i'm in his shoes i'm thinking like all right this is working really well the defense knows it's working really well they think and they you know they think we're going to keep doing it so i have this great play where it looks like we're still doing it but we're actually actually doing something else to catch them off guard i mean i, I know he's trying to 
oh, play and chess, when he's, not checkers. For sure. Mm-hmm. And when, when he's on a roll, that I mean, that works great. When you're on a, you know, when a team is struggling with consistency like this team does, maybe you should not dig into your bag of trips so much and, and Sometimes, run the plays that simple. on, you know, run the plays that over the course of the first four games have worked really well. And maybe in really, really big situations, and we'll get to this, don't run your, you know, which admittedly are a lot of your bread and butter stuff in the passing game. But for whatever reason, you haven't been able to block them up or haven't been able to execute with this group of guys yet this season. Don't go to those in the biggest high leverage situations of the game. And we'll get to that. So it's 10 nothing OU. Uh, you know, Oklahoma's defense is playing great. I got all, all these notes. Woody Washington, more PBUs, more great coverage. You got Nick Benito and David Ogwebu rushing and forcing Ellinger to throw it away. Another three and out. Uh, let's, let's get to... Spencer Rattler's interception at the end of the first quarter. And we'll kind of get into this topic of Rattler and then, of course, Mordecai. Uh, there's no sugarcoating it. It's a terrible pick. It was a horrible pick. It was a rookie mistake. He One of the worst picks I've seen linebacker. by an OU quarterback in a long time. I mean, it was bad. And it's, it's really easy to explain. You see exactly why it happened and, and how, it, how it transpired on the field. Texas, he, uh, they show pressure to Spencer Rattler's front side. He sees that guy up at the line of scrimmage, that linebacker who dropped, and he's thinking, okay, that's where the pressure's coming from. But instead, they drop him, and then they blitz from the backside. I mean, it's a, it's a simple, somewhat... Uh, it's, it, it's a simple... Uh, man, I'm not doing well with words right now. It's an easy way to disguise to what you're doing. That's not a, super okay, high it's, level. It's a simple way to confuse the... Yes, perfect, thank you. You knew what I was trying to say. That's been and, done for years, basically. Like right, this is right. that is the disguise that everyone knows how to do, basically. So at the snap or you know pre-snap, Spencer sees that linebacker up near the line of scrimmage. He's looking at that safety in the middle of the field, and once that safety vacates to him, it's one on one with a slant. I believe uh, Stogner was the intended receiver. That's easy pitch and catch. He was not taking into account that linebacker sinking into coverage, which is exactly what happened. And for whatever reason, whenever you're locked in like that, sometimes defenders become, you become blind to them. And I get it. I do. I mean, I, I mean we've all played like flag football or touch football Madden. or whatever like that. Madden or NCAA football. Madden, yeah, that, Madden. That's, that's yeah, by I mean, far the most common pick thrown in video games on a, on a slant, on all slants. Yeah, exactly. So I get it. So yeah, anyways, yeah, just there's no excuses. It was a bad pick. Sets up Texas. Great spot. Credit to Oklahoma's defense, though. Oklahoma holds them to a field goal, although OU was lucky to hold Texas to a field goal there, Grant, because of a personal foul call against Texas when they were going to have it fourth and one inside the five-yard line, and they probably go for it there on fourth and one, but uh, they get called for a personal foul after the play. And the fact that it even got to fourth and one is problematic to me because I think what we're learning – and not what we're learning, what it is. And I talked about this a lot last podcast. Alex Grinch likes to be super aggressive, especially on third and long. It was third and 16 at the Oklahoma 18-yard line. Third and 16. So it's probably it's basically like third and goal because like the chances of them getting a first down but not a touchdown is pretty low because you think if they get that far in, they're probably going to score anyways. Oklahoma plays great coverage all across the board, but 
They played man-free on third and 16. Man-free on third and 16. Deshaun White was responsible for Sam Ellinger. And that's Alex Grinch putting his players in high leverage, difficult spots, high risk, high reward. Hey, Deshaun White gets the job done. This is a heck of a play. And it's, it's either going to be stopped for a loss or Ellinger is going to force something into, into traffic. But what happens, though, is that Deshaun White's spying him. He ends up getting blocked by the center. And once he's blocked by the center, Sam Ellinger has nothing but running room because everybody's got their backs turned playing man coverage. So it's a super aggressive play call on third and long, which is I think that's what Alex Grinch likes to do. We saw it against Iowa State. We saw it against Kansas State. Uh, the rush doesn't get home. One player gets blocked up and then boom, a big play can happen like that. Luckily, like I said, Texas ends up committing a personal foul after the play's over with. But I think instead, uh, if that doesn't happen, Grant, I mean, do you agree with me? Do you think Texas goes fourth and one from like the two? Probably. Yeah, I would think so. Down 10 um, nothing. I, I mean, granted, all game long on fourth and one, Tom Herman kept punting, even though they were at like, they weren't like in plus territory a lot of the time. The thing so is, I don't know, though, maybe he, maybe he would have been not, super I'm not going to instantly kicked. give them the first down there, though, and I know or the touchdown. I know a lot of people are, are thinking that because I'm sure they would run that little counter draw that they do with, with Ellinger, which he scored at least 90% of his career touchdowns against OU on. Um, but I, it's it's not a cinch that Texas scores there because because OU's defensive front was destroying Texas up front the entire game. So who's to say that someone doesn't shoot in there and, and get you know Ellinger in the backfield? I I, I understand what you're saying though. I, I get it. It was a you know a really terrible boneheaded you know decision by the Texas offensive lineman to come in and hell I mean yeah that's that's just Tom Herman ball for you. He's he's gonna get fired. Clearly he's gonna get fired. Um so. That's just it's an undisciplined football team, just like OU. They're just nowhere near as good. They don't have as good of players. I think that's that's clear. Yeah. So I think Oklahoma got fortunate, uh, was fortunate there. Uh, and then so I mean, defense got to give him credit. They held him to three after the you know the sudden change interception. And then Rattler turns it over again. Another third down play. This time he fumbles it away. Uh, I, uh, this was a weird play. I, I he had a bubble screen to Jeremiah Hall set up, and I, I think he wanted it. But when he looked over to his left, whoever was rushing off the edge, I think, spooked him. He jumped up in the air, and, and Rattler was he, – he panicked a little bit, and he fumbled. I mean, it was just – it was back-to-back, just really bad series, bad third-down plays by Spencer Rattler, and he looked like a redshirt freshman. And that's, that's the only way to put it. And Texas gets the ball again in plus territory, and that led to a touchdown. And, I mean, that's when Ellinger – was able to score on a quarterback keeper. I mean, when he keeps the ball near the goal line, he's like unstoppable. He, so that's why I, I think they would have scored. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, they, that, they, that's a fair thing. You're right. He's never really been stopped on that play. by like, Georgia couldn't even stop him two years ago when they were playing. Because they run him. They're so creative with it. Like sometimes they'll run him kind of out wide, but and it, gives him, it gives him like an RPO function too sometimes. You have to make the decision sometimes. Do I go off? To go get Ellinger? Do I cover the man? And they put you in conflict. He's really good down there on the goal line for sure. Um, I got to give credit, though. Uh, after that fumble by Rattler, by the way, Oklahoma's defense, sudden change, came out there. Very first play created a negative play. Josh Ellison and Marcus Stripling uh, helped create a TFL. And, There's some um, new blood in that front seven, man, that are really giving that defense some juice. And I, yep. I, I don't know when, like... I. There, there are people in the front seven lead that I just want to gush about. And I, I don't know <laughs> when we're going to do that or if 
Um, I, I mean, I'm I'm very impressed. This is the best. This is the best defensive line they've had in terms of depth. I I don't think they have anyone as good as you know right now as good as like Gallimore and Perkins and Redmond were really last year. But they got seven or eight guys that they're rotating in there right now who are all above average football players in the Big Twelve, and some of them are really good. So let's save that for later. I do. By the way, I haven't even teased this yet. I do have some Alex Grinch sound from Wednesday. And a lot of you may have already heard it. There was a, he had a soundbite during his availability that, that uh, took off around social media. That's pretty good. It's only 15 seconds long. Uh, when we talk about the defense as a whole, I'll play that, and then we can, we can kind of gush over certain guys like that later on in the show. How about that? Sounds good to me. Uh, I, I, I will say on that drive, I thought, I thought Buki, he got jobbed. I thought he kind of got... He got jobbed a little bit on second down and 12. He gets called for a PI, and I, I didn't agree with it. I didn't think it was a good call at all. I thought the throw was too far for the wide receiver. I didn't see Buki doing anything to, to really impede the receiver. That was on second and 12. It should have been third and 12, but uh, the flag came out, and it was the very next play where Ellinger scored on the quarterback keeper when they got the ball inside the 10-yard line. So I, I do think Texas's first touchdown of the game was aided a bit by a bad call on Buki. And so obviously, like, we try to – we're fair. I mean, we will call it like we see it. That was not a good call. Buki did not commit pass interference, in my opinion. I thought, he, it, I thought he got jobbed on that one. Does that play – do you remember that play? Yeah, I remember it. It just looked like – it looked like he was just, like, kind of tripping, right? Like, it, he, I, he, yeah. I know he was begging yeah, and pleading with the ref, saying our, our feet got tangled, and their feet got tangled. It wasn't P.I. Yeah, and it wasn't even a good enough throw. Like, it was – I mean, very rarely do they call things uncatchable unless it's – 15 rows into the stands I, he wouldn't catch that anyways but it shouldn't have mattered it wasn't a pi so i it think was, that was uh, a bad call it was it was one of a of a few instances in the game and, and pretty big moments where the where the officiating staff kind of bailed out texas a little bit um which wouldn't hey, be an I'm, ou texas game if that didn't happen i'm not you know i'm not conspiracy guy i highly doubt that the big 12 officiating crew goes into this game every single year and is like yeah, I'm going to screw over Oklahoma and I'm going to call it biased in favor of Texas. That doesn't happen. But Texas kind of always seems to get the benefit of all the of all the terrible calls. Like and we'll we'll get to them, you know, we'll get to Texas getting 46 extra seconds on the clock. Um <laughs> which I which during the 30, game I thought that was 39, weird. 39 technically. What was it? Ended up being 39 technically. 39 yeah, seconds. Yeah, well, it, oh, you're right because it should have been yeah, whatever. We'll, we'll get to that, but Man, screw Texas and screw the refs. I hate all you guys. It's terrible. <laughs> all right, so it's tied at 10. Now we see Tanner Mordecai. And, okay, this is – I was surprised. I did not expect this to happen. I, I mean, even with two, two turnovers back-to-back series, I still thought that Lincoln Riley's ride or die with Spencer Rattler. Uh, his reasoning was simply after the game – you know, at, at the time, it was kind of it was murky. It, it, they showed Rattler on the sideline. It looked like he was getting his right shoulder and arm worked on. So you're thinking, oh, maybe he's banged up a little bit. That's not good, but he looked fine. And then at halftime or coming after halftime, I believe uh, the sideline report was saying, nope, it wasn't injury related. It was just coach's decision. Uh, so Grant, Mordecai comes in. I, I don't know if this is a interesting topic or not, but I kind of thought about this earlier today. Grant, if OU is 3-0 and in this game, does, does Lincoln Riley take out Spencer Rattler? No, definitely not. I don't think, I, so. I don't think so either. This is one of I the things so that 
I don't know, benefit of hindsight, and I'm, I'm glad they won the game and all, uh, this, is, this is a very clear example of Lincoln Riley trying to outsmart himself. Um, hey, you know what? And it worked. It worked. He said that the reason he did it was to calm down Rattler, and that's clearly what happened the rest of the game because Rattler was pretty darn good the rest of the game. But Lincoln Riley got bailed out by fate. Tanner Mordecai is not a good player. Uh, if he would have stayed in that game a minute longer, it was a bit. It would have been disaster. And like I, I just he Tanner Mordecai came in and looked just as shaky with the ball as Spencer Rattler did. And I, you know, it worked. There's there's a few things that I liked that I saw from Tanner Mordecai. Basically, his his ability in the pocket to climb the pocket and keep his eyes downfield. As soon as the ball leaves his hand, he is one of the most inaccurate passers I have ever seen at the college level. I mean, it is it's bad. It's bad. Yeah, and the decision making just isn't there. So here upon the rewatching it, my thoughts on on Mordecai went from that first series, it was like, okay, you know what? This isn't yeah, he looks fine. Like he's he's running the offense. Like, okay, like he's looking pretty good. He he completes his first two passes, throws them to Theo Weiss. Uh, Lincoln Riley was calling plays that were were good quarterback friendly plays, like a, a good quick play out calls in that Weiss. situation for sure. Yeah, and I mean credit to Theo Weiss. He made a guy miss. He gets yards after the catch. Gets a first down. He had T.J. Pledger who busts off his best run of the year. He follows his blocks. He's patient, and then he fumbles at the end. That's where the fumble came on uh, Mordecai's first. That first was series. such a good run too. It was such a good run, but didn't you kind of see it at the end coming? You're like, oh, yeah. yeah, this is. I, oh yeah, this is not going to end well. Yeah. Very similar to when CD fumbled in the Big 12 title game a couple of years ago on that massive explosive play where it was like, ah, just, just, just go down, CD. You're, the play's over. Just go down. Go down. That was one of those where fumbled. it's like after, I think like um, it was kind of like seven or eight yards past the line of scrimmage is when, is when Pledger like got to that big mass of humanity of people and he got really patient and let, and let his receivers kind of set up the blocks after that. After that, like after he got out of that mass of people, I wish uh, Ramondre Stevenson could have been transported into his body because Ramondre would have scored after that. (laughs) (laughs) But I also, I I, I think Ramondre would have been tackled before the first down probably on that play. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, so, I mean, that drive was, I mean, that was going well, and then he fumbles. And Texas takes over, tied at 10, and the defense comes up big, man, on, on that play. I mean, the... On second down, Isaiah Thomas gets a great quarterback hurry on Ellinger, just blows up the play. Ellinger has to just throw it into the dirt. On third down, you see Ellinger scrambling, and Nick Benito catches up to him, brings him down on the play. And, I mean, I he's been here now. This is his third year. Uh, Buki just tries to throw a shoulder at Sam Ellinger, and it, it might as well have been like he wasn't even in the play. I mean, he's the lowest guy on the field, but he still can't. He's still not getting low and getting leverage. Like, I'm sure Benito would have enjoyed some help on that tackle, but that oh yeah, didn't that was help. the one where Benito almost pre- or uh, Buki almost prevented Benito from making the play. I I mean, they both got. I mean, Benito was tackling him, and, and yeah, it was just it was it was a huge tackle by Nick Benito because he held him up one yard short of the first down which brought the punt team on, and that's whenever David Agwebu blocked the punt. And, whoa. I mean, that was, first of all, was that not the longest developing punt 
that you've ever seen. Oh yeah, that was I, I, that was one hundred percent on the punter. <laughs> like if I was oh if I was gosh. a Texas fan, I would be furious. I'd be so pissed that the punter screwed up, and that's why, and that led to a touchdown. Like if you're if you're a punter, your one job is literally just not screw up, and he did. <laughs> the whole rugby style. He runs and kicked it right into Agwebu. <laughs> like. He, yeah, that was that was so bad. But credit to Obwebu for not giving up on the play, making the play, recovering it, and then that's whenever uh, Major came out and scored his scored his touchdown. Well, actual, well, that, well, uh, you know what? You mentioned the undisciplined. They got a freaking part. personal foul after that, didn't they? That back. They got an unsportsmanlike. They got an unsportsmanlike for celebration. For, for celebration. That's okay. That's the stuff right there where. If you're if you're Lincoln Riley or Alex Grinch or Shane Beamer who does the special teams or Bowler who also does the special teams, you have to lose Remember, your mind. Bowler's gone. Bowler's oh, gone. Oh yeah, Bowler's gone. Texas, I'm so sorry, Bowler. <laughs> uh, yeah, Beamer. So it's, it's all Beamer. Beamer is the special teams guy, from what I understand. So, um, I just why does that keep happening? Because every time they get a turnover, they celebrate like they won the World Series as well. And <laughs> like they won the world of baseball reference. <laughs> I'm serious. Am I like, am I, they're popping champagne. <laughs> like that's, that's what happened. Were you watching it? Like, were you watching the broadcast? That's what happened on Woody's pick at the end. Um, the sideline reporter was saying that Alex Grinch was furious and had just like, was screaming at the top of his lungs for a minute straight because they were, because he was saying the game's not over. The game's not over. And of course yeah. they, they had to go, had to go back out there two more times. And yeah, like it's the whole the whole celebrating like you won the World Series after one turnover or one big play needs to stop. It's freaking lame. So it's so lame. Act like you've been there before. Yeah, but you know exactly what I'm going to say. They're not there very often. <laughs> There's not a whole lot of those takeaways. But it's like it's you've But got, I agree I, with you. Act I, I like you've like been there before. At least half of their turnovers that they've created since the beginning of last season, they've gotten a freaking celebration penalty on. Like to the point where it's it's how is that not an area of concern that the coaches have highlighted? If something big happens, go back to the freaking sideline. The game is still happening. You've given up so many you know, leads over the last three years. And in so many instances where you feel like you've won the game and only for it to be snatched out of your hands. That's happened so many times over the last three years, and yet you're celebrating like you won the World Series after one blocked punt in the first half. That, that crap needs to stop. That stuff drives, that stuff drives me insane. Like, I've, I've, I've pretty much reached my limit on that stuff. Like, I, I can't do it anymore. Almost to the point where, and I said this on Inside OU, I couldn't, I couldn't celebrate them w- winning the game with the interception because I assumed that a flag would follow. Yeah, it's, and like it's I had every right to believe that was going to happen. Yeah, it, sh- it, it just needs to so stop. My, so my first thought is, I'm trying to think. Okay, practically, how does how does one fix this? Is it fixable? And I think to practice. Okay, obviously you you practice way more than you play games. So in practice, I don't know when they're in team or whatever. Whenever there's a a turnover or a takeaway, I wonder if they're all uh, celebrating the same way and. Would it behoove the coaches, or I don't know if there's refs at practice. I know sometimes there probably are, to like penalize guys in practice for over celebration. I don't know to 
curtail it in the game. I wonder if that's even a thing that could be possible. Or like, do I'm they need to think to, of like, ways to fix this? And I don't know if the, if this is just a generational thing now that just I'm just never going to understand. Do they need to do a stupid like turnover chain or something so that celebration happens on the freaking sideline and not in the and not in the opposite end zone on the field of play? Uh, that's actually an interesting point. It's like yeah, if it, it it happens, and then if they know there's some sort of ceremony some turnover chain like thing that they all go to the sideline and do i i yeah i don't get that either didn't they have i know that uh a year or two ago <laughs> i know uh some of the guys some people we made fun of the the big old like sledgehammer that buki had that i'm not sure if that was ever a thing or not but that was kind of funny that went away i don't know if they had like a turnover sledgehammer <laughs> or something yeah but, uh, if yeah. that's true that didn't didn't last long this is one of my but, uh Maybe this is just one of my personal preferences, just bleeding over, you know, into it as well. I just, I like guys who, when they make a big play, they stay stoic. I've always liked that. To me, it's badass. It's cool. And um, there's just, if, if you ever want to celebrate a big play, there's just nothing better than a good old-fashioned scream and flex. And that should always be your go-to. And see, what happens is if you celebrate like that most of the time, stoically, whenever you do make that, that massive game winning play or something and you actually do celebrate it really it means a lot more you did something even bigger than you know getting a sack or picking a ball off or whatever yeah it, it might be a generational thing honestly like i mean you and i we're not particularly old we're not old guy but i don't know i mean i'm, I'm kind of with yeah it's i that would drive me absolutely insane it's like i get celebration it penalties. football's hard football's hard the other team practices too and when you turn someone over especially in the big 12 it's exciting it's a big play i get it but when it it's constantly costing you yards and this isn't a new thing this is an undisciplined football team you can't afford to get a penalty on a good play there's way too many of the bad ones like if we'd have if, to go if, back in the last couple of years and see how many times they've been penalized after turnovers because I know it's happened before but it didn't strike me as as much of an issue as it, it seems like it is to you as far as it's like a yeah it's you're a constant right. I mean, thing I'm, I'm starting to realize as I say it that it, a lot of this this is a personal preference deal I just I don't like guys overly celebrating a lot it's tacky and it looks lame and the reason that they do it is because they think it looks cool and I'm telling you that it does not and I don't know about you college kids out there, but you want Grant to think that you're cool. So you listen to him. The standard is there. You want to look cool. Just a, a, a good old-fashioned scream and flex is perfect. It also, it, it also produces the coolest pictures as well. <laughs> the old slow motion and the still pictures, yeah. Uh, well, Oklahoma was able to score a touchdown, though, even after the penalty. And this was the drive, though, even though Oklahoma scored, where Mordecai started to look pretty shaky. That third down throw... The throwback to Mims was a horrible throw. Yeah, he would have scored Mims, if he hit him in stride. Mims did a great job at going down and catching it off of his shoe tops for a first down. And then they, they scored on the GT counter. So OU goes up 17-10, about seven minutes to go in the second quarter. Then Texas is able to go and, and tie it. And uh, Trey Brown gets called for a penalty. On uh, the next drive, play uh, called for a, a pass interference call. I I didn't see a replay. They didn't show the replay during the game, so I I couldn't tell if this was a good or a bad call. 
but what I can tell you is that it set, ends up setting up Texas first and goal from the eight, and Ellinger scores a touchdown. That's what he does when he gets near the goal line. And then it's uh, so like I, an extension more of the Spencer Rattler-Mordecai stuff. This is when it, it starts to get really bad for Tanner Mordecai. It's tied. I, that, that play where Charleston Rambo bails him out and makes an incredible circus catch was a fantastic play. I mean, Charleston Rambo, who was mostly invisible in the OU Texas game, made a massive play there. Didn't lead to any points or anything like that, but he bailed his quarterback out. And here's my issue with that play. And I guess this is kind of like another film time with Lee scenario because when I was watching this, I thought, my goodness, Tanner Mordecai made this a lot more difficult on himself than he needed to. It was third and five, and it was a a poor pre-snap decision by Mordecai that led to him almost getting picked off there, which could have been a huge momentum shift. So if you're Tanner here, you know what the play is, obviously. Uh, You see Texas come out. They line up with press coverage to the boundary receiver. You've got Austin Stogner as a wing to the boundary. You, You see no immediate defender responsible for Stogner. He's essentially by himself, uh, right, as a wing behind the tackle. You see the safety 10 yards off the line. He's the closest guy to Austin Stogner. Uh, if he's playing man on Stogner, he's giving him a lot of cushion, obviously. So as a quarterback here, when you got Stogner as a wing and you got a boundary receiver who has press man, it looks press man, the easiest read here, pre-snap, is going to be get the ball to Austin Stogner and let this guy run for the first down, especially... Because you know what the route's going to be. He's running a route that's going to very likely get him wide open. What's the route he runs? He runs a little in and then a little quick out route. And so at the snap, Stogner delays, gets a hit on the defensive end. Then he releases. He kind of does a nice head fake inside. Then a quick outside release. He's wide open as the safety. He was responsible for him in man coverage. The safety bit on Stogner's little little uh, inside move. So he was already inside a little bit, has to change direction. Stogner is just begging to get the ball thrown to him. And he, sh- he should have seen this pre-snap because the receiver on the boundary side ran a- an in, a slant, and just took that receiver out of the play. So there was nobody there but Stogner and then the safety over top who was about eight yards away from him at the time. And you get the ball to Austin Stogner, he gets the first down easily, and he breaks a tackle, he might score a touchdown. Or at the very least, he's running up the sidelines for a long time. But instead of what happens on that play, pre-snap, Mordecai, he, he locks in on Charleston Rambo from the onset, and the play is just never there, and then he forces it. And fortunately for the Oklahoma, it, it works out because the guy doesn't pick it off. It gets tipped up in the air, and Rambo makes a great play. Ugh, it's just, I, I realize Mordecai hasn't played a lot, but he has played a decent amount, though. I mean, he has gotten reps. He got reps last year. Uh, He's got a little bit of reps this year. As a quarterback, and you've been in college now, I think, is this his third year in the system? Yes. I want to say it's his third year in the system. You have to really take advantage and enjoy the situations as a quarterback, and I get that they're young, but they're in college, not in high school. They should know this. Take be a student of the game. Situations like this, you're looking out at the field, and you see the situation, the the alignment, the scheme of the defense – in his mind, it should click automatically. Oh, I know Stogner's running a little in and out route here. I know my receiver on the boundary is going to run a slant, and he's going to take his man with him, vacating that spot. This is 
easily going to be Stogner. And if for some reason at the snap they, they end up playing zone, it's not there, obviously he needs to have a backup plan. He needs to have a different idea, maybe come around to the other side. I don't know. But what they were showing pre-snap is exactly what they did. This should have been a really easy conversion, and he just didn't see it. And I don't know if that's something that is on him or if that's on the coaches or what. Uh, it just bothers me whenever there's something that's so easy, easy to see there. And you don't take it. Brock Purdy was given plenty of really easy reads by Oklahoma's defense a couple weeks ago. And Brock Purdy took it every single time. And Iowa State picked up chunk yardage or first downs every single time. So uh, this is kind of where it got really bad for, for Mordecai. And then, you know, and then he dropped the ball uh, when he was scrambling. You mentioned that earlier. I think if he wouldn't have dropped the ball, he probably would have had a decent run. Uh, I'll, I'll stop right now. I know I'm talking a lot. If, if you want to comment on that Rambo play, I, I know I, you haven't had a chance yet. That was, I mean, Rambo or Mordecai or anything. Sorry. No, I just want to say I, he just he just didn't look very good. I really, really hope that Spencer Rattler stays healthy for the rest of the season because if it's if it's Tanner Mordecai, that's it, it's a problem. He's Tanner. Like I, I'm happy he got his shot though. I think that's cool that Riley that Riley put him in there. Honestly, you think it's cool? Uh, okay. I, I do. I, because for Riley, who's a guy who constantly is telling us that there's a quarterback battle and we're always kind of like at this point, whatever, man, whatever. And I get that. Like we, we're in agreement. If it was, if there were three and O, I don't think he's pulling Rattler. I think that's a one and two situation where Riley has a little bit of leeway and he, he wanted to send a message to his young guy while also providing an opportunity for his veteran type player who. He's been probably telling behind the scenes and like letting him compete and like, here, here's your shot, man. And I, it's not easy. I get it. But Mordecai did not take advantage of it. He blew a shot. He, he That's made for it, sure. He, he made it a little bit easier for, for coach Riley to go back to Rattler after halftime. If yeah, I, I texted if, you if at halftime and played said, better. Yeah. I texted you at halftime and said, Oh, you can't win this game with Tanner Mordecai. And they couldn't They're like, they, they would not have scored in the second half. If Tanner Mordecai was the quarterback, it just, it just I wouldn't disagree. Have I think they, I think they could have won the game still somehow. It, it might have made it to where they ran the ball a lot more. The question is, does Texas just gear up and and put you know eight nine guys in the box? But then I suppose that Mordecai I suppose to, by to at that it. time, at that time, yes, because you know yeah, once you got to the end of the game, Texas still had seventeen points, and they should have only had seventeen points the entire game. They should not have scored again. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I see what you mean there. But most I, I my thinking there too, is that Tanner Mordecai yeah. was a walking disaster waiting to happen. He was absolutely going to throw a pick six or give Texas a touchdown at some point in time. He was, he's he's not a very good player, and um, I, I at least well, from what for, we've seen so far, he's, it's just the lights are too big for him. He always looks like he's about to crap his pants. <laughs> That's it's just his style. It's it's his feet. He's very frenetic. He's very choppy. He's always moving his feet very quickly in the pocket. He's never settled, it seems like. And I get it. He's a college kid. We're, we're criticizing him. You know what? I, it's, if you disagree, you disagree. I, if you don't think what Grant said there, he was maybe a, a disaster waiting to happen. Well, what about, I, I got some evidence for you. I, he basically was a disaster on, th- on third and 21. This was the worst one. That made me go, man, like you come on, man. You're take you're a quarterback. You're really smart. Like 
you understand your position. You have to embrace this position. He gets a free play because the Texas guy jumps off sides. It's a free play. Everyone knows what that means. You, it's third and 21. You're it's going for already, a touchdown. You're, probably, you're trying, you to, you're trying take, to score a freaking touchdown on that play. Take, that's that's take what you do. Take a shot. If the guy doesn't go off sides, then you probably just check it down and you punt, whatever. It's third and 21. But you're given a free chance to take a shot and try to pick up the first down, if not score a touchdown. And he guns it right into the arms of a Texas player. He throws a bullet pass right to the wrong jersey. I mean, right to him. I, a lot of velocity on that throw. I'll give him that, I suppose. So I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, uh, Tanner. I'm not going to go easy on you for this play, man. Like, and I know that you're not, you're, you're not going to go easy on yourself either. You know that you should have taken a shot there. I know you do. You have to. You're a smart dude. You've played quarterback your entire life. And I, people make mistakes. I get it. But this is your third year in the program. I, so, dude, I, that was the, the point where I was just like, okay. Uh, very rarely do you get a shot to, a shot, a free play to go deep on third and 21. And he just, he throws it right to the other team. So yeah, it's just not, anyways, I mean, it's it, not good it, enough. It goes to halftime and it's, it's tied. And that whole, the, the Tanner Mordecai experiment is, uh, I think is finally over. Yeah. I think, uh, I think it's pretty likely that next season, the backup quarterback is, is going to be Chandler Morris or Caleb Williams. Um, I, I, I'm not sure if, I'm not sure if Mordecai, is is here after this season but again i i know that you you're kind of disagree with me on this but i, I mean given the situation that it, they're one and two i i like that he was given a shot because spencer made two really boneheaded plays. it's arguable it's all right i mean it, and, it worked it ended up working so of course there's a there's a good argument for it i just think at that time lincoln riley got bailed out i, I think like, even if it wouldn't have quote-unquote worked i think riley's explanation of it was fair i think I think it made sense to me. He he wanted to settle his guy down, and then uh, at halftime he he thought that Spencer would be a better you know he you know he makes his decisions play to play each situation, and he made that clear. and And I get it. I, but uh, yeah, you just you you gotta you get your chance. You gotta play better. You gotta play better. And I know it's you know, who knows especially maybe, against maybe the bad would have played a lot. Yeah, Texas defense is bad. It's really bad. Okay, so I mean, second half. Uh, you know, Rattler comes back in, and oh, I mean, OU scores pretty quick. But I, I guess Texas gets the ball first. You see Isaiah Thomas; he gets a sack, and Isaiah Thomas had a great game. He was everywhere. He was in the backfield harassing Ellinger, getting hurries. Uh, Lincoln Riley called him their most improved player. He said that he's been tremendous. And with Jalen Redmond and Ronnie Perkins gone, we knew we knew that we needed. I said we Oklahoma needed somebody to step up and, and Thomas we thought could do it he had limited playing time last season he he flashed in the big 12 title game and he he's good he looks really good Grant he's good he is like I he's replaced the production of Ronnie Perkins he has at the front the the defensive line for this team has been good they like of all the suspended players they miss Ronnie Perkins the least of all of everyone they're missing they miss Ronnie Perkins the least um, and it's because of guys like Isaiah Thomas. I'm, he's one of the guys I want to gush about. Um, okay. Do, do you want to do that? I, let's do that after because I, I want to throw him yeah. in with a lot of it. But Isaiah Thomas, is he is playing at an at an all Big 12 level. He looks that good. And I am, 
I even I think during the game I called I, I, I texted you and I called him a rich man's Kenneth Mann. And I'm like, that's that's unfair. That's unfair. Isaiah Thomas is good. He's good. There's a couple of guys on this podcast that just keeps getting shout outs when they're they're not on the team anymore. I think Kenneth Mann is one of them randomly. That's why you tune uh, into the West of Everest podcast. Yeah. That is. I mean, you're um, gonna get you're gonna get obscure references dating all the way back to nineteen ninety nine at least. Oh yeah, I mean that's my favorite. I I love I love referencing past players. It's it's going to continue to happen. I also love it whenever you reference players that I actually know or remember. If you reference somebody in like the twenty eleven ish to twenty fifteen time, I probably eh, depending on who they are. If they're an obscure player, I'm not going to know them. But that doesn't matter. Uh, Marvin Mims. Marvin Mims. Shows up again, explosive punt return, gets inside the Texas 30. Uh, he needs the football in his hands more. I, I, that's pretty obvious to me. I, I, uh, some of the... The touches that, that Rambo uh, are getting uh, yeah. behind or within a, a, a yard of the line of scrimmage, those all need to go to Marvin Mims. All yeah, of them. Uh, it's just it's, it's plain as day. And I, uh, yeah. So, I mean, that Oklahoma set up great. Spencer Rattler comes back in. Um, and they score a touchdown. Um, they get down. Um, you, you see, it, it's boom, boom, boom. You go. You got Theo Howard catch. You got a uh, TJ Pledger screen gets down to the one yard line, uh, and then TJ Pledger from a yard out, just like that. Oklahoma's up by a touchdown, and this is like when Oklahoma starts to. They're they're playing great, Grant. I mean, they're playing a lot better. That defense gets a three and out. Uh, Sam Ellinger gets sacked again on that drive. I, I saw Jordan Kelly make a play. He, he gets in there first, and then. Uh, I think Ogwebu gets the cover, uh, gets the sack, or maybe he gets half a sack. Benito might have got half a sack, and the coverage, the coverage in the back end was good. It was a coverage sack, and then I believe is when Oklahoma gets the ball back up by seven. They go on that long, long, long drive, and I probably should bring up figure out how, just how long that drive was off the top of your head. Do you remember? I think it was seventeen plays, eighty-seven yards. Boom! Nailed it. Seventeen eighty-seven. Lasted eight minutes and seven seconds. I mean, that is, you don't see that very, I mean, you see those drives. We saw those back in like 2017 when OU was toying with somebody and up by 35 in the fourth quarter and was just trying to kill the clock. Uh, We haven't seen those drives in a situation like this where the game is still very much uh, in doubt. That's the type of drive where if, you know, if it's, if it's a veteran team, or if it's a coaching staff that is, you know, that is more comfortable with the lead or has a better track record with the lead, that is a drive that ends a game. That is a drive that completely takes the will away from the opponent. And the fact that Oklahoma had to go to overtime in this game after a drive like that is is a very bad thing. Is 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 quite a it's quite a demerit against Lincoln Riley and his staff. That drive was it was it was just a man's drive. It was a big boy drive, and after that after that drive, and I said this on uh, when I was talking to Brady yesterday, Lee. After that drive, Texas was ready to quit. That stole everything away from them. They were demoralized. They were begging to to lose by four or five touchdowns after that drive, and you have to finish them off. You have to finish them off. And the fact that yeah, they didn't is is so disappointing. An eight-plus-minute drive, you punch it in to get a, a two-touchdown lead with a minute and a half to go in the third quarter. So it's essentially, it's basically the fourth quarter. 
They only have they have a quarter left. They're down by two scores now. Their offense isn't doing anything. I, I don't want to shortchange Theo Weiss because Theo Weiss was fantastic on that drive. I just want to make sure we shout him out. That third and ten uh, throw by Rattler and catch by Weiss near the sidelines was was fantastic. That's great ball placement. Weiss keeping his feet in bounds was great. And then on third down and seven, a few plays later, when Rattler was like, yep, I'll just go right back to my five-star buddy, Theo. And he throws it up. And in traffic, Weiss makes the catch, takes a hit, takes two hits. And uh, Joel Klatt on the broadcast says, man, those are some strong hands. Because he goes up there, catches it with his hands, and you can see him gripping the ball up above, like around his helmet area, coming down with it. Great third down conversions. Marcus Major had a, a 10-plus yard run on, on the drive as well. Uh, Rattler had a nice zone read keeper, kind of like for 15 or so yards on the, on the drive. Uh, Austin Stogner had a catch and took a nasty, nasty fall. Uh, when he was undercut, got, you know, hit, fell on his back. Luckily, got the wind he was knocked okay. Got the wind knocked out of him. And then uh, Pledger, again, from short yardage scored. So that was just... Very rare do you see these drives where Oklahoma doesn't get explosive plays or big chunk plays. I mean, that was just straight six yards. It was a demoralizing yards, drive for yard, Texas. Two. There were plays. Oklahoma made plays when Texas had things covered up. Yes, just demoralizing. Well put. Demoralizing for them, and you let them. You let them back in. Ah, uh, it's man. I just I I don't even know where to start with that. Like, I, of course, I want to give them credit for that awesome drive, but it's just from then on, the offense after that was just it was it was a complete dumpster fire, and it wasn't focused. They had like the, not really a clear vision of what they wanted to do, what they wanted to accomplish on any of the drives. Uh, it's just it's you know, it's it's very yeah, so familiar. Let's, let's get so let's get to. Oklahoma's first drive after getting the ball back because they get a three and out. So OU has that long drive. The defense forces a three and out. OU takes over with 14 seconds left in the third quarter. They have time to run one play. Oklahoma has the football starting the fourth quarter, first down and 10 with a two touchdown lead. And uh, they had that little dump off to Jeremiah Hall for 14 yards to get the drive going and the quarter ended. And then on after uh, that play, podcast, the play calling is indefensible. This was, and I want to talk about this on, on on the podcast because I think you make a really really good point, and you and I'll let you make it again. You kind of already made it already, but you on with Brady, you said that this drive was kind of the the key drive compared to maybe some of the later fourth quarter offensive drives. Correct. Yeah, I mean, this is the drive. You just you just had that long eighty-seven yard or eighty-seven yard drive where you demoralized Texas's defense, and then in the past, that's when OU's defense would give up a an eighty-yard drive in three plays easily, and they would score. Except that didn't happen. They manned up and they got Texas out three and out, and I think they did so in dominating fashion. They dominated them up front again. Ellinger was running for his life. It was just like, oh, I mean, at the time, it, it would have been really easy for Texas to be like. Well, crap, man, or at least mentally, this is just exactly how the game has gone the entire time. We're done. We're getting freaking killed, at least on the, on, the, on the offensive side of the ball. So then your offense gets it back, which has just scored on two consecutive drives. You have that one really nice throw to Hall, which is a great play. I love that play. It's a nice, easy throw, and it kind of always works. He gets 14. And then after that, they, he called three consecutive plays. They were all throws 
at the line of scrimmage or within a yard of the line of scrimmage. And they were all on plays with, like what I already said, is kind of a bread and butter play of, of this OU Lincoln-Riley passing game. But they have not been successful on those plays this season at all. They have struggled executing them. So why would you dial them up on the drive that you need to end the game? The game would have been over if OU would have scored there. Texas would not have come back at all. It just wouldn't have happened. Why aren't you calling so, your best players? Why aren't you calling plays that they've executed well in the first quarter of the season and over the course of the entire game? When you're first and 10, and they were first and 10 kind of near midfield, not once did they run a GT counter. Not once. Not once do you go to Austin Stogner over the middle of the field. Like, I, it's, it's not even necessarily a, man, you just got to run the ball thing in that situation. It's you ran three consecutive plays that you haven't been able to run with any success at all this season. What what was Lincoln Riley thinking was going to change there? They were just going to magically execute? Yeah, it's, the, it's not the first one, the first play of the fourth quarter after Jeremiah Hall's first down catch and run was a very low percentage play. It was a quick throw out wide to a play they've Theo executed Weiss. this this year well, by the way. Uh, they've they've been okay with it. That the problem with that play is that it was it was two on two. Like I mean, they didn't have a, any sort of advantage, and I mean Drake Stoops got blown up and blocked at the line of scrimmage, and when Theo Weiss caught the ball and came down with it, Drake Stoops is getting blocked into him, and the play was completely blown up, and they lost four yards. That's it, it, so when I mean, Drake Stoops has been on the field and they've and they've ran that play. That's the exact thing that has happened every single time. Yeah, that has not been a. Yeah, that has not worked well. And I think so. It makes me wonder, play, like, are they, are they, they running their, that play their drag? Like, well, I, I want to know: Are they running that little bubble screen all the time in practice, and they're they're executing it really well with like Obi in the slot? But when Drake is out there, it's just it's not it's not going well because I know like I know Dennis Simmons controls the the receiver rotation, so it's like are are they executing it with with Obi and Darby in the slot, but not with well, Drake? Is Obi Obi Allo even. In practice, I mean, no, I Obi wasn't even there. He, was, he would, you know, he wasn't there. So, like, I, I would assume that he maybe didn't practice. But that's the only thing I can think of. Why would you keep calling something that the other, like, other teams have seen on tape and have known to just completely blow up? They know they see, when they see Drake Stoops out there, they they know to look for that, and they know that they can physically manhandle him. The thing is, though, Stoops is actually out there a lot. Stoops is playing a bunch of snaps. I mean, he's. He's essentially he's their starter in, the, in that position group. So yeah, I know it's, it's I, not like, like it's not like they're reading like it's not like they're seeing Drake out yeah. there and like oh here okay, comes that fair. play. I, that's I, fair. I don't think that's happening. It's just they're not executing. And yeah, that that was the first play. Just like that, they're behind the chains. And yeah, I mean they they go easily three and out like a whimper. I mean it kind of gives a little bit of life to Texas's defense, obviously, and a little bit of life to Texas's offense uh, because they get the ball back with almost a full quarter, knowing that they need to score two touchdowns. And as the game went on, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, obviously, but I think you're exactly right, though, because and we don't need hindsight for this, though, because how many times of the last this year, the year before, does Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch and all these coaches talk about finishing games and putting people away? So if he's constantly talking about it, he has to think in his head the way that you're thinking that, hey, we have the football up by two scores. We need to go put this team away. So let's go do it. And it was that. Yeah, like the first play of the drive was great. 
but then the you know the quarter stopped. You know, I get like the quarter stop, like the quarter and like the stoppage there. Like clearly the flow got messed up because yeah, I just you know, who knows what would have happened if they just would have been able to keep going and going and going in a situation like that. And I like I know you want to be multiple, and I know you got a lot, you, you got a lot of personnel groupings that you like. I just feel like in a situation like that where you feel where it feels like you can really put your main rival away in a huge rivalry game, why don't you just why don't you lean on your best personnel grouping? Why isn't like you know why why isn't the grouping out there? Why is Jeremiah Hall and Austin and they they might they may have been on the field there I don't know but you should I think they should have been in twenty one personnel there for that entire drive because it's their best personnel grouping right now in a high leverage situation I in a high leverage situation Jeremiah Hall Austin Stogner and T J Pleasure need to be on the field right now with the personnel on on this team right now. And if those three guys are not on the field in a really high leverage situation, what are we doing? Well, potentially it's it's not looked at as a really high leverage situation because it's almost like a, we can kind of take our foot off the gas a little bit. We got a two-score lead in the football. All right, and if that's how he's thinking, that's that's very bad because that I was agree. a high leverage situation. And, and a, a situation in which you can end the game effectively is definitely high leverage. So yeah, I think that's a fair it's a fair criticism because again, of all we we've heard we got to put people away, we got to finish, we got to and when you're presented with the opportunity, that's that's the drive you get. It's not great, but see, the thing is though, Grant, they get another chance later. <laughs> they they get another chance because Oklahoma's defense uh, comes out and does pretty well and is able to get Texas off the field relatively quickly after that drive. Yep. I, they, they get Texas into third and long. Uh, you see Thomas, again, he, he blows up blows up the third and long play just immediately. By the way, uh, Laron Stokes had a TFL on first down to, to put Texas by the chain, so I uh, want to give him some credit. Uh, third and 12, Thomas blows up the play. He rushes through the A-gap. He forces Ellinger to roll out of the pocket, and then he just runs right into DTY, who forms him up. I mean, this was actually, as I was rewatching. This this was a cool play because I'll I'll tell you and the the listeners the fourth quarter I honestly didn't get to watch it that closely I was dealing with some work things that had me distracted so I missed a lot of plays in the fourth quarter so the fourth quarter rewatch for me was almost like me watching for the first time and I didn't see this play live and it was a a high energy big cool play I mean third and long you got a big form tackle on Ellinger near the sideline you got a sack. Uh, I mean, in my notes here, I put Oklahoma should have buried Texas at this point because they still have the two touchdown lead. Now there's even less time in the game and Oklahoma's getting the football back. 1137 to go in the game. Big, a big hit form tackle on Ellinger should have happened when they were up by 21 points at the time. And that would have been the capper on, on the destruction, which yeah, I, the, the defense, the defense ended this game numerous times and Lincoln Riley just, just would not allow it to end. The thing is, though, the next drive, though, they did run the football. They gave the ball. They fed TJ Pledger, and he got yardage. I'm looking at the, uh, the play-by-play right now. Uh, nine yards, two yards, 17 yards. Yeah, that was the one that I think uh, Ramondre would have broke, the 17-yarder. Well, and then he, oh, and then, oh, and then uh, Rattler runs his own read for, for 23, and they're across midfield, and I actually, live, I was kind of, again, I was half watching, like, doing other stuff. I looked up, and I, and I saw Rattler 
running the zone read and I saw the situation, I saw the score and he was crossing midfield and I was like, okay, well, I mean, all right, this will be, this is like easy, this is over. Like I, I could not believe that they, it was later, like, you know, five, 10 minutes later, there was in a situation where they could have lost the game. Uh, so it was kind of a puzzling thing because he had TJ Pledger really feeling it. And then Marcus Major came in and actually Major had a seven yard gain. All right, you're in second down and short. And then he rushed for no gain, and then Rattler gets sacked on third and three. And it's like you're in second and short, you're in third and short, and they couldn't convert. And, and you punt, and you down Texas inside their own 20, but still, it's a second drive where they had a two-touchdown lead, and at least they, they moved it. They, they affected field position. They changed field position, but again, they couldn't score and put them away. And I, I'm, I'm simply looking at my notes, see if there's any sort of... Yeah, I don't have any sort of detailed notes about like, oh, why did they do this? Why did they do that? It's just I the drive stalled on them, and I I mean that was that. But here's the, thing. <laughs> but we haven't even gotten to Woody Washington's interception, <laughs> where they take the ball back away. Uh, again, sorry, again, and that was even later. And this this next possession was whenever the Texas got extra time put on, uh, which was I a think weird, I, I guess a weird thing. In that sequence, I, I think that the thing that you're you're most upset about of obviously is, uh, well, what what is it? They they ran for no gain on second down. They lost a yard. Lost a yard. I I think then, that's uh, a situation this, where it's yeah. like it, it was Marcus Major, wasn't it? Yeah. You got to get TJ Pleasure has to be the running back in that situation. I I understand you want to rotate running backs. Not in the fourth freaking quarter on such an important drive like that. I just, I, I, I would like to go back and rewatch it. I remember at the time being upset that Major was in and thinking that Pledger probably wouldn't have gotten hit in the backfield for a loss. Um, yeah, I mean, Pledger had had three really nice runs on that drive earlier. And uh, if you look at the play by play on second and one, it just says he went for two yards. But in my notes, I have it written here. Pledger on that second and two play, he evaded a tackler in the backfield when he he took the handoff and there was a tackler right right there and he spun away. He broke a tackle and then he gets the first down. So even though it was a two yard run, it was a really good two yard run to get the first down. I think that's probably the biggest gripe is that TJ Pleasure had rhythm and he was feeling it. Like he 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 he, he yes, was he, very he was. much within the flow of the game, and it just never seemed like Marcus Major ever was. And I don't understand why Marcus Major was getting carries in that situation when it, everything had to set up perfectly for him in this game to gain yards. And, I, you know, I... That's, you know, I'm that's, sure if you gave Lincoln Riley true serum, I, unless TJ Pledger was saying, I'm dead dog tired, I got to get out of this game, I, I don't know. Then maybe you call a timeout. You, may, you make sure that no, he's on the field. No. Yes. Because the clock's 100%. Running. No, no, you don't call it. You don't burn time out there. The clock. You running. make sure in high leverage situations that your best players are on the field. I mean, Major had just gained seven yards. I mean, it, like they, it was first, you know, second and three. So I mean, I just, I, they, I, I, I don't right? think like, you should throw plays away. I don't think you should take guys for granted. And TJ Pleasure was the was was their best player on offense in that game. On big time, like I, I just on big time moments, you got to give him the ball, especially when he's when he's feeling it. And I understand I've been I've been critical of TJ Pleasure and the running backs, but there was no reason to be critical of TJ Pleasure in that game. He was awesome. 
And I, yeah, I just, I put your team in the best positions to win. And yeah, uh, I, I, yeah I feel I, bad. I, I, I don't want to pick too much on, I don't want to pick on Marcus Major too much. I mean, it's, but still it's that, that, that would be my problem with that play is in that high leverage situation when you've seen what TJ Pleasure has done over the course of the game, I just I don't think Marcus Major can get the ball in that situation. I just you just can't do it. Well, Texas gets the football back, and everyone probably knows about the whole clock thing. Uh, you know, it, there was five fifty-seven when Ellinger stepped out of bounds. For some reason, they reset it to six thirty-six. Random number. Uh, the Big Twelve acknowledged that that was an error. Uh, you know, Texas goes down. Ellinger takes a shot to the end zone, and there's Woody Washington, who makes a great play on the ball, gets an interception with with 5:02 to go, and it Oklahoma once again now gets the football with only five minutes to play, still up by two scores. And for the record, I did the math. If the clock was correct, there should have been four minutes and 23 seconds to go in the game. And I think that's a fair, uh, a, a fair talking point because the way Texas was running plays, th- like they're not going to like run run the, the clock or plays any differently if there was, you know, thirty, you know, more fewer seconds. They were, this absolutely they impacted twice. the game. And once we get to the point, I'll explain why it did. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so there should have been four twenty three to go uh, in the game. Unfortunately, Oklahoma goes three and out. Uh, Texas uses all of its timeouts. Only 15 seconds leaves the clock. Uh, and again, but Texas has no timeouts left. Uh, and for the record, there should be four minutes and eight seconds left in the game instead of 447. And again, just wanted to keep pointing that out because it's, uh, it's important. So again, it's still a two-score game. I have my notes here. You got Woody Washington coming up to make a tackle on, on Keontae Ingram. And I say, I put in all caps, Woody can tackle. <laughs> like, Washington, he can cover. Looks like he can tackle. He doesn't hang back there. He goes and he attacks. He had a great game. I mean, he really stood out. Uh, let's see. Second down and five. They take a shot deep to Jaden Davis. And this is a play where Jaden Davis turns his head and gets a really nice PBU. And I had, it was great coverage. Second down and five, so Davis had a nice game. So now it's third down. Oklahoma, and this is a point where we're just going play-by-play because I have it in my notes just so we kind of keep up to date with it. Oklahoma's going to go single high safety, and it's third down and five here. It looked like the same exact thing they were doing earlier in the game on third and long when Sam Ellinger had that long run back in the first half. Same defense. So Deshaun White is responsible for Sam Ellinger, and this is the play, Grant, where I think you might have referenced earlier where Sam Ellinger in the hole shakes Deshaun White and he's off to the races. And this is a, there was two plays in the game. Uh, that one I just mentioned in the one earlier where it, you're putting your players in a very high-risk, high-reward situation. And you're asking them to do their job and execute. And Deshaun White twice missed Sam Ellinger. One time he got blocked, this time... He allowed Sam Ellinger to, to juke him, even though Sam Ellinger is not Lamar Jackson. And Ellinger is able to break away and pick up a first down and got 20-plus yards. Mm. It, 
high risk, high reward, aggressive, aggressive call. On third and five, I get it. And Alex Grinch knows very well that Ellinger can run, and he's putting the responsibility on Deshaun White. He's saying, hey, man, I trust you. You got him. And Deshaun White knows that, and he didn't get him. Uh, I mean, does Kenneth Murray make that play? Probably. I think Kenneth Murray probably makes that play. Kenneth Murray is more experienced than Deshaun White. But that's worth pointing out there. That kept the drive alive. Granted, obviously, Texas is going to go for it on fourth down if, if Deshaun White makes a nice tackle there. I got to tell you. you know, the, 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 the field, the, the yardage is different. If you're gonna put if you're gonna put a guy out there and his only responsibility is the quarterback to shade him and make sure that he doesn't break contain and, and gain yards, I think I prefer David Igwebu in that situation over Deshaun White, and I, I think probably everyone does. I, you know, I I don't know, I don't know. Igwebu is he is really slow, so unless like if if he makes one false step, he ain't catching him. Uh, so I mean, like the, the thought process behind that would be Igwebu would be able to keep Ellinger in front of him and then close and not give Ellinger. Any I don't sort think Igwebu is as slow as you think he is. Uh, a couple plays in that game where he was like trailing and running. He looked like he was lumbering. I think it kind of looks like it because bad. he's so big. I, I don't, yeah. I mean, I kind of have a hard time believing they would move him to middle linebacker if they thought he was too slow to play it in a speed yeah, had, D I type mean, deal. Yeah, like, maybe, I don't, maybe, maybe it's a, maybe it's an optical illusion, but uh, he, I like, I think it actually might be. Like it's because he because he's going to be one of the guys I gush about as we go. So uh, he's not going to be uh, from what I've seen. I'm not going to confuse him for anybody that can run. He looks like a guy that's just brute strength. And uh, anyways, that, that's what I've seen from him so far. Not to say that he's a bad player or anything like that. He had a really nice game. Uh, but I, I just I don't know. I, as the season goes on, we, maybe we'll see him in more situations where he's he's running around and showing off his speed. So, anyways, I mean, Ellinger makes that play. He he picks up extra yardage. You know, Texas gets better field position. Let me figure out where the heck they are. He rushes for. My bad. Twenty six yards. No, was it? It's the wrong drive. I mean, I don't. Do we do we really need to go into a lot of detail here on the last two scoring drives for Texas? It was Sam Ellinger with his legs. That's why they got down the field. Yeah, you're, okay, you're right. I just was trying like, to like. There's no. There's point there's out not a whole, really incredibly detailed things. And so I, I think I think maybe the one of the biggest factors on those on those last two drives is Nick Benito did not play at all on any of those last two drives. Um, that was that was a very large factor. Are you sure about that? I'm pretty sure about that. Yeah, I'm, I I texted you and made a comment saying, "Where's Benito?" Oh, okay. Yeah, at that time of my rewatch, I wasn't like vigorously looking at every single and I, I only say that because Nick Benito was regularly wrecking the pocket in that game and he was he was absent on on both of the drives all right so yeah I mean and also later in this drive Pat uh, Pat Fields it's called for a holding penalty um, gives Texas a free first down uh, penalties penalties we got something on penalties later we'll talk about so yeah Texas scores with 328 to play and for the record it should have been 249 to play Okay, so the next drive, Oklahoma gets the ball, and this is the, the big. This is the big one. Uh, I didn't know this until the rewatch. Grant, I mean, Spencer Rattler almost loses a fumble on first down. Oh my! Oh my goodness! Like what a disaster that obviously would have been. Uh, Creed Humphrey recovers it. 
Oh my! I mean, it's just like Oklahoma was trying, trying and it was like it was when he was in a pile too. He got it ripped out, like when he was held up in a pile. I yeah, think. Texas. It was perfect by Texas. They were holding him up. They rallied to the football. I mean, that is that is perfect defense in that situation. Great job by Texas. It's exactly what they were hoping Oklahoma would allow them to do. Uh, it's it, and it even better. It was the quarterback and not a running back. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, that was almost a disaster. But then this brings up the third and nine play where, of course, the clock is running. The clock is running. It's third and nine. And so in the game, the ball is snapped. The clock is running, but the ball is snapped with 2.11 to play. But if the clock was correct, they wouldn't have been given extra time. There would have been 1.32 when the ball was snapped. And then we know what happens. Stogner drops the first down pass. Uh, he catches that ball. The game's over. Uh, but the math would be if the clock was 132, I would bet that Riley probably just runs the football there and then punts yep. and Texas gets the ball with about, you know, 50, 45 seconds left. Well, first of all, big problem one is that before that third nine play, they should have let the play clock run out and call a timeout and they should have regrouped and called a, a better play. They should have done that. Um, Mm. And then yes, that that's where yeah. the time comes in. I if if you could have given Texas the ball with less than a minute left with no timeouts in that situation, I know you can do the math if they would just let it go. Um, that definitely changes your calculus a little bit for sure. Um, and I think you probably just run the ball there, let it run all the way out, punt, and then just you know hope that Texas has to go ninety plus yards without any timeouts with less than a minute left, and you know. You also have to throw it downfield, which they were not able to do in that game without immense yep, amount of yep. pressure on Ellinger. The time thing was a really large factor in this game. Um, if OU would have lost this game, man, I don't even know what would have happened in terms of like referees and that. There's there's nowhere the Big Twelve would have been able to go. I mean, it would have been who knows. I mean, clearly yeah. nothing would have happened, but it just it just would have been a PR disaster. Yeah, it'd have been bad. That would have been terrible. Because um, it was like, so, I mean, I, because <laughs> because there's no logical reason that that like the referees can even fall back on at all. No, none no. at all. Like, there's what what them, a random number to put on a the completely clock, right? random number. Completely. I mean, the clock had ticked below six minutes. <laughs> like, the old, like, what are you doing? Um, like, but yeah, I mean, just to get more focused, I, I guess yeah, I'm. I had no problem with the with the play call there on third and nine. Um, I I think with that time remaining, I think yeah, his his instinct of okay, let's get a first down and win the game. That was the correct instinct in that moment. And I'm also glad that they that it was clearly a, des, a play designed to go to Stogner, which is who I would have gone to in that situation. Um, actually, now that I think about it, maybe Weiss would have been a better option there, just because he was hot and he was playing really well. Um, I mean, both guys, both guys ha- were Stogner or Weiss, fantastic if, if you're going to throw in that situation, have to be your two options. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, later, you know, Stogner made up for it later in, in overtime with that. Yeah, we, we'll, we'll get to that. But yeah, I, I agree. I agree with you. I, I had no problem with it. Uh, again, I, I wasn't really uh, super engaged live. And I know people were questioning it, blah, blah, blah. But like going back and rewatching, like, I, yeah, I, I always like playing to win the game. I, I get it. And I mean, Stogner, it was a random, a weird drop. I mean, he he catches that ball, the game's over. 
And it's important to not judge the way we think about a play call based on the result. You have to take that into account every time. Whether or not it works or not, you cannot judge whether you like it based on the result. That's ridiculous. You have to, you have to make decisions on what you know at the time. And I get it. I've seen a lot. I've I've seen most people, like at least most podcasters or most OU media guys, have a lot of people said they don't have any problem with the with the third nine play call. I think it's it's okay. it's the drives leading up to the end, um, okay. where OU could have could have really put their their boot on Texas's throat, and they just they just weren't able to do it. I that's why I was so frustrated in the fourth quarter. Um, even though you can really only point to maybe three or four you know things that Lincoln Riley could have done differently. It's frustrating because we were seeing the exact same thing play out as we had, and it was happening in the OU Texas game. And in my mind, I was thinking, how did you let it happen again? Like, how can you be paid tens of millions of dollars? Lots of people think you're the second coming. Lots of people think you should go to the NFL, but you haven't figured this out. Oh man, like I see. I mean, I. My opening take, I was the other way. I was like, in my head, it's like, well, of, of course this is happening again. This is what this team is. We shouldn't be surprised by this. That's fair. That's fair. See, <laughs> I've, yeah, I've gotten way too heated on this podcast today. I was, I was thinking, I was like, man, I'm going to be good vibes person. I'm just happy they beat Texas. Uh, like, the OU Texas game is always weird. It's always like weird. It. It's always weird. <laughs> like, there's uh, the 2017 game. OU was so much better than Texas. Texas had no business being within 30 points of OU that season. And it was, it was just right down to the wire. Like, so this game is weird. I, I think the, the, the people who are using this game as like more of a, you know, you know more evidence that OU is going to struggle this year, I think it's fair. I'd rather use probably the, the previous two games as more evidence that they're going to struggle. Uh, but this OU Texas game, especially this decade, the last 10 years, this has been just the quintessential throw out the records game because there, there is not a single time that Texas has come into this game and should have expected to win in the last 10 years, and yet they have. So, and they've also competed. That's just, that's just how this game works. Yeah, uh, so Texas gets the football back. They need to get to score a touchdown, and it's, it's, it's a really tough drive for Pat Fields. He gets called for not one, but two penalties. Uh, I, th- I thought the second one was kind of weak, but uh, he, got, I mean, he got called for three penalties in the fourth quarter alone in that game. And it just uh, The second one came on second and 10. He gets called for P.I., would have made it third and 10, but Texas keeps getting free first downs. They don't have uh, anyone they can put there. That's why he's, uh, that's why he's still out there. There, there's he he played the most snaps out of anyone in the entire game, and he, he was did? I mean, and for the second consecutive game, for the second consecutive game, he was clearly the worst player on the field. They don't have anyone they feel like they can that 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 can replace him. That's that's a position that they're struggling in. Clearly, like I, I don't. This is a game we saw a ton of young dudes on defense in this game in the secondary. Didn't see anyone spelling Pat Fields. I think that tells you all you need to know about how they feel, where they are at safety right now. Yeah, I, it's, I see sometimes Trey Norwood spell DTY at strong safety. I, I, guess, I guess they don't see Trey Norwood as a free safety. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, the thing is, though, I mean, it, there's a lot of those instances where, where Pat Fields is in those situations, and I wouldn't feel really comfortable at all if Trey Norwood was in those same situations. 
So well, co- well, coverage wise, I would. Yeah, coverage wise, I probably a, a lot more heady player. I mean, it's just, but I mean, there there's some coverage issues and there's some bad habits and some bad technique. And and again, I got some stats on penalties that are that could that uh, they're not going to be surprising to you listening, but they're also going to be like, oh, good, good, good God. So it, we go to overtime. Uh, let's let's kind of blow through this. I mean, uh, I I did think that fair fair and balanced. I thought Buki got away with one in the overtime on second and nine looks like he's kind of grabbing looks kind of awkward they don't throw a flag so i was like all right like yeah i thought that was weird cool cool like but unfortunately they uh on third down and long they they pick on pat fields they throw his way they convert and then ellinger scores and and just like that oklahoma has blown another lead i thought 21 unanswered from texas i thought the call on pat fields was very ticky tack which one the one on Pat Fields, the one that that was near the goal line, right before Texas tied the game. Oh, so okay, yeah, I, I mentioned that a little bit ago. Okay, yeah, I thought, so, oh, you did. I'm sorry, I thought we were talking about okay. something else. I, I just, yeah, my bad. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, it was kind of weak. Um, it, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, you texted me about. about I thought, this, yeah, the the one on Pat Fields, the one on Pat Fields was was weaker than the than the the early call on Trey Brown. There was much more of a penalty on Trey Brown than there was on Pat Fields. I thought. Yeah, I agree with that. But the you know the problem it just is sucks. Like it was in such play, a huge part of the game. It was it was a huge yeah. part of the game, and the ref bailed out Sam Ellinger for a terrible throw. Yeah, like that that that's I mean, why you, I would that's why it's frustrating. The thing is, you kind of see the right hand grabbing up on the right shoulder pad of the the opposing team. I I mean, yeah, to sure. Be fair, if, if 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 I'm a Texas fan, I'm saying, yep, that's pi. Throw the flag. That's it. Um, but yeah, it, I agree it, uh, but that was his third penalty. You know, I mean, he had already been flagged twice earlier in the game. It's just sometimes these guys, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's subconscious or if it's a, like you said earlier, like a reputation thing, but it, it keeps happening to a few players on the Oklahoma defense. Um, but yeah, I mean, 21 unanswered from Texas grant 21 unanswered, but then you get, you get the third and eight rattler to Stogner to tie the game. And I, I thought about you, Grant, when I saw this play because this is what you always harp on whenever we're watching the national title games and stuff. Just you got your future NFL quarterback just just saying, "Hey, hey, future NFL tight end, here's the ball, make a play." And that's oh, yeah, exactly baby. what happened. Oh yeah, I. One of my favorite things about that play, Lee, is uh, the play was awesome, obviously. But uh, if you go back and watch the TV broadcast, there is like a as soon as Stogner comes down with that. There's like an audible like yell or roar from either the crowd or OU sidelines. I think it's OU sidelines, and they go crazy. Like it's just like it's 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 kind of the collective sound of everyone on the sidelines going like, "Oh God, yeah!" Just like kind of like like a screaming flex. Basically, <laughs> you should go back and listen to it. And that stuff fires me up because that's exactly what that play was. Big boy play. It was. My guy against your guy, and my guy is just gonna is is gonna beat you. And I love stuff like that. And um, I, I'm Austin Stogner, man, is a dude. He is a dude. Like it's um, it's. I'm not sure if 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 the guys they have on campus now are as good as as the guys that like started in the Rose Bowl as pass catchers, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if Austin Stogner is is one of the best OU tight ends in history by the time he's done. That guy is good. And I, and I, yeah, I realized that he dropped that third nine. Steps. 
I know baby steps, but I like to get excited. He's he's a guy that the offense right now, the passing offense should be built around Austin Stogner. Uh, yeah, I mean, Lincoln Riley doesn't do that though. He doesn't build things around re- like receivers and stuff. He he runs and his offense, and I don't like that because he has that's that's probably not a good thing. But no, he I does do, I mean, do this. You have he, guys like you have like you have guys like Theo Weiss. You have Marvin Mims. You you gotta get them the football too. Yeah, but no, he 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 built the entire passing game last season off of Ceedee Lamb, so he well, does do this. Yeah, but that's that's when he had a very limited throw over the football. That's probably why he did that. I guess yeah. I I, I like the idea of. And yeah, I understand that you have other guy, you have other mouths you want to feed, but it go it goes back to that thing. It's I think Austin Stogner in this conference is a cheat code, and so why don't you just go to it over and over and over again? Yeah, I mean he's he's really good. I I, I mean that's that was big boy play. Uh, credit to Rattler for just letting his his teammate make a play on it. So, of course, it's overtime, so Oklahoma scores second. They get the ball first in the second overtime, and right off the bat, first and ten, they go right back to Stogner. Uh, I mean, kind of a savvy move. They go, he, he kind of looks left, Rattler does, influences the linebacker a little bit to open up that space, and then he finds Stogner down the seam, first and goal. Uh, then, uh, then Stogner drops a touchdown catch. I think I, it was kind of like an awkward pass, I guess. Uh, I honestly didn't st- spend much time on that. It was like a... He was open in the end zone-ish. Uh, by the way, Mikey Henderson was wide open. That should have been the read, but granted, he's Stogner, Stogner. That's, that's his go-to guy. Uh, so Oklahoma ends up making it really hard on themselves uh, on, on this series. They it was kind of like a knuckleball. Spencer threw him a knuckleball. Okay. Okay. Like, it was weird. It, like, didn't even, it, it, didn't, it wasn't, when it came out of Spencer's hand, like, it wasn't even rotating like a spiral. It was, it was going, like, end over end. Oh, weird. It was yeah. really weird, yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't watch it close enough on the the rewatch to see that because at that point I was I wanted to be done with this game. I just wanted to get through it and be done. <laughs> it was just so much. But uh, you know, Rattler ends up scoring later on. It goes to review. I I didn't think there was enough evidence to overturn that. Did you? Yeah, I thought it was pretty clear that his calf hit. His calf hit his- when he was down. Yeah, I thought it was pretty clear. Oh, I- I was looking at his butt. So his calf hit first? Yeah, his calf hit when the ball was clearly like at the half-yard line. Oh, okay. I, the whole time I was looking at his butt. Eh, that's what I get for looking at butts, I guess. <laughs> Jeez. Ooh. Come on. Uh, so, all right, yeah, yeah, so I'm, maybe I missed that one. So like, what's the deal, though, with this, this fourth down play, Grant? Because they, they run a play-action pass. That could have been a disaster. But Texas calls a timeout. I I don't know how that would have played out. Maybe it would have worked. I don't, I really didn't see where that play was going. But uh whew. Yeah, that is what they were going to call. I yeah, I if if that's what they were going to do, I'm I'm not a huge fan of putting Rattler under center to run a play action pass when he's only, you know, he's always done it maybe 3 or 4 times this year being under center and and you know, when you have to gain a gain a yard to keep the game going to not lose. Yeah, but I mean, it didn't matter. They they got into the right call the next play. the The QB sneak is the right call one hundred percent of the time in that situation, unless you have like Adrian Peterson in the backfield. <laughs> yeah, uh, the only the only thing about QB sneaks now moving forward. Luckily, that one worked well. But was it uh, K State where he had the bobbled snap with the QB sneak and got stopped? So it was like there could be a little bit of creeping. Like, uh, and that's why, yeah, that's why it's kind of that. I mean, that was always kind of the cliche, like, oh, that's why you don't want to be an air raid team 
can never get yeah. under center under the 10-yard line when you need to. Yeah, well, they do sneak it in. It works out great. Awesome. Oakland was back up. And then this is the, the touchdown that Texas ties it where uh, Asamoa is just blatantly held and allows Ellinger to run for the touchdown, which I believe if it would have been called, it would have ended up being like second down and 20. That's one of and those plays where it's like, I kept seeing that in highlights. Like they kept showing that as like, oh, a massive play in overtime in the highlights. And to me, it's just all I can see is the hold. That's all I can see. <laughs> and everything else is just not. I saw it during the play. I was losing my mind during the play. It, it felt like the 2017 game again where, where Texas got away with at least 15 holds. And it, w- it, was, it was like actually the exact same scenario. <laughs> it was, oh, it drove me insane. I, I just... And it was like yeah, and just the was, reaction, the the reaction from Asamoa too. He's like, "Come on, like, uh, <laughs> what am I supposed to do here?" <laughs> All I gotta say is that I mean, ball don't lie, right? I mean, yeah. that's like it's thankfully, like I guess karma happened because oh, you still won the game. But I mean, yeah, it's I've seen that play a ton in highlight packages since the game has been over, and like I said, all I see is the hold, and it's like. I feel like if I was editing that together, I would never put that play in there. Because it's just like, I, I don't, don't you see that he literally wouldn't have made that amazing play had the other team not broke the rules? <laughs> I don't oh, know. That's, man. Like, that's the same for me. I don't, I don't love like rewatching OU plays where they blatantly get away with a penalty as well. It's just, it's just not a good football play. It's a miss by the yeah. ref. It's someone not doing their job. Yeah, so that one directly benefits Texas. Uh, they get the ball to start the next overtime. Uh, Nick Benito gets a big third down sack that uh, forces a field goal attempt. And then big old Perry on Winfrey gets his old mid up there and, and blocks a field goal. Been waiting for so long for a big dude to get a huge push and block a field goal in OU's program. Been waiting so long for that. Yeah. So it's Perry on. And so got to give credit to... Uh, hype man Harry, who uh, I believe he sent us a message on Facebook, and uh, I I did see his tweet as well, or it was John Hoover's tweet where he uh, he credited hype man Harry. And the reason I bring this up is he said, "Hey, like, when's the last time Oklahoma has blocked a punt and a field goal in a game?" And so it looks like he did the research, hype man Harry. And did you see this tweet by the way, Grant? Do you know the answer to this? Uh no, I I don't really go on Twitter that much anymore. At least I try not to. This is pretty crazy. The last time Oklahoma blocked a punt and a field goal in the same game was in 1999, Indiana State. Bob wow. Stoops' first game. Very first game. That's cool. So great job, Hype Man Harry, for uh, digging up and finding that stat. Uh, also, they found, or he found, that the last time Oklahoma simply blocked two kicks in a game of any kind. Uh, this is another kind of crazy answer the 2014 russell athletic bowl <laughs> oh my god i yeah i don't even yeah that's i can safely say that is the ou game that i have the least memory of since my ou fandom began that's the first yeah. time that i've ever been like i just don't care anymore it was kind of it was kind of a liberating feeling actually but i don't, I don't blame you yeah that was that was really bad that's when they uh Hey, that was a, um, people really wanted to look at the glass half full. That was a Clemson team that they lost to in that, in that Russell Athletic Bowl. And that was like an 
eight and four Clemson team. They had just like, and that was that was the year before they they went on their they started their huge massive run with Deshaun Watson and everything. So Dabo was still there. They still had all of their NFL draft picks. They were just young. Deshaun Watson, I think, was there but just hurt. And I don't know things happen like that. That Clemson team that year had a great defense and a really terrible offense. And then the next year, all they really needed was Deshaun Watson, and they were great. So, hey, it can happen, too. Keep your heads up, everyone. So Oklahoma's in a position where all they need is points, and they win the game. And this was, this was tough because, <laughs> I mean, how many times on this podcast over the years have you said that you hate college kickers and you don't trust college kickers? And weirdly enough, Oklahoma has... Oklahoma had, like, in 2019, the best kicker in college football. I mean, Gabe Burkich literally did not miss a kick. Gabe Burkich is, is, Gabe Burkich is the best kicker at OU since, since Bob Stoops or Lincoln Riley has been there. Yeah. yeah he, I mean, he has been absolute nails, and even the one and he missed. I knew he was not going to make that <laughs> kick. So, yeah. And Here's like, the this thing. Is, yeah. Like, the, people need to do, I, maybe I need to do the legwork on this. The reason why he was definitely going to make that kick is because you made the game revolve around him. You didn't run your offense. You didn't do it in a natural setting. Keep it as normal as humanly possible. Kickers are very fragile beings. As soon as you as soon as you made that entire drive about making a field goal and only making a field goal, you were going to miss the field goal. He's not a professional. He doesn't understand what to do in situations like that. You messed up his routine. He was never going to make that kick. You don't kick on second down. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I, okay. I obviously understand what Riley was doing. Everyone does. We all get it. Gabe Burkich has been fantastic. And you're playing a video game, and you know that you need to kick a field goal, and it's a 30, it's a chip shot field goal. You just, you kick it. It's a video game. It's over. But life is not a video game. And, even though Riley has all the confidence in the world, and he even said after the game that he'd do the same exact thing if he had another, if he could back could go back and do it again, he'd do the same exact thing. God, that drives Lincoln me Riley insane. always says he, Lincoln Riley always says things to pump up his kickers. He always has, no matter who it was. It's always been Austin Seibert. Now it's Gabe Burkich. Remember, and he certainly remembers this. It's not like this is the first time this has happened before. He did the same exact thing against Army back in 2018 to prevent overtime. Set up Austin Seibert for a chip shot field goal, and Austin Seibert shaked it. And Austin Seibert was a really good kicker. So the moral of the story is go score the football with your offense if you can, especially whenever you are moving the football easily. It was first down and 10 from the Texas 11, and at that point, Riley said, okay, we're going to set up a field goal for Gabe. Just keep running plays, man. I get that you're risking a turnover. I get it. But man, like, don't trust college kickers unless you absolutely have to send them out there. Go score a touchdown. This is one of the things that Nick Saban is excellent with. He hates kickers. He doesn't trust them. Listen to Nick Saban. Always. Like, this this is maybe the thing actually that bugs me the most about this game. And the fact that he comes out and says he would do it again is offensive. He's he's got to publicly back his kicker. It's you got to be very careful with kicker psyches. I get it. I would I understand why he would say that. I just like I I 
I desperately want to hear him acknowledge that going about it how he did was wrong. Because it is. It is wrong. You're completely well, we'll changing if- you're completely changing the dynamic of the football game. You've played one way the entire game and you've completely switched it switched it on its head. And you're putting the, what is which is historically the most uh the most mentally fragile player on your team, the kicker, you're putting him you're putting everything on his shoulders. You're revolving the entire game on him. A guy who has only been out there like four or five times in the course of the game. He has not been in the trenches like everyone else. And you want him to go out go out there? You're putting that entire game on his shoulders? It's stupid. It would it would have been if, if you would if if we would have put it right down the middle, it would have been stupid. I think the key you, you said it earlier, it's it's not necessarily you're putting it all on his shoulders, but I think you made a really good point. You're you're doing something unorthodox to get him out there to kick. You're not running your offense normally because in defense of Lincoln Riley, Grant, last season, there was at least one, possibly more situations where Gabe Burkich was put in a situation where the base of the game was on his shoulders and he came through. The first one I think of is Kansas State. He was out there kicking like a 40-something yard field goal that they needed to make in order to have a chance at the onside kick. He misses that field goal. They only have a chance because they're down by two scores. And it was a, and he drilled it. Yeah, and I, I I can't I can't remember the exact yeah I guess the exact um, uh, scenarios regarding that kick. I guess um, if it was but it was a must have kick. If, if he it was it, fourth, the game, the game's if it was over. fourth and ten or less, it was the wrong decision to kick in that game too. <laughs> like I, I just don't kick field goals. Just don't. I. I I hate. It. I, I just yeah. I'm. My yeah, mind. My my mind just can't be changed I, yeah. on this. I get this is just a philosophy thing for me, and I would just never put the game in the hands of a kicker ever in the history of the world ever, unless I absolutely have to, unless that is my only choice. And he had right. on second on second and eight from like the twelve yard line or wherever they were. He had so many choices. Well, no, it was it's. They picked up a first down. It was first and 10 from the 11. And then that's on first down, they, they moved the ball to the middle of the field where they wanted to kick it from. So they ended up probably, what, losing a couple yards? So, I mean, it, it's just it's first and 10 from the 11. Just keep just go bury Texas. They want – I mean, granted, okay, they probably want you to run a play because they won't have a chance to get a turnover. But you have the ball. You have the, uh, the, the advantage. Go win the game. And then if you if they stop you and you got to kick it on fourth down, it's it's a chip shot field goal, and it's it's within the structure and the flow of the game, and it makes sense to kick. I think that was the biggest that was the best point you made. I think is is yeah, changing is, the way you're doing it in order to kick. That is the intellectual reason why you do not do it. Just and then just as as a college as someone who likes college football, you just should know in that situation. And I understand <laughs> that coaches kickers. don't think like that. And I understand that I, you know, it's it's not how it works, but just come on, understand that. Well, you, if you're a if, if you're a Texas kicker, then you you kick because uh, aside from Perry on Winfrey blocking it, Texas hasn't missed a kick against OU. Uh, we did the math on this last year. I should bring it back up again. Maybe I have it somewhere, but Texas like has not missed a kick against OU in years. I guess yeah. I think the more interesting, you know, anecdote there is that that was OU's that was OU's chance again. They have not had a walk off winning field goal since Bob Stoops or Lincoln Riley have gotten there. So I, I um, unless I'm, unless I'm forgetting something, but they haven't, there's just not there. And 
Um, it kind of sucks that they had their opportunity there, and it was just—I mean—he could not have missed it anymore. Like it was—it was a shank—it was a shankopotamus. Uh, like <laughs> he didn't even look like Gabe Burkich. No, it and it's like—and it was—it was completely predictable. All right. Well, fortunately, Oklahoma went back out there and they ran that touchdown play from earlier, and Drake Stoop scored. And say they scored on the very uh, next play, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, it was the very first play. Yeah. So good on Riley for bringing out that play to immediately change the momentum back. Uh, and then, uh, you know what? Like hopefully, Burkich's mind isn't all messed up because he didn't have to kick a field or an extra point. He, they had to go for two. So Burkich still has not attempted a kick since that miss. So we'll I, see how, how that How much him. you want to bet we're going to be dealing with an emotionally fragile Burkich all season long? Uh, I hope not. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, and then uh, credit to Theo Weiss and Rattler, a little speed out, great throw, great catch, two-pointer, and Oklahoma puts all the pressure back on Texas, and then uh, an amazing Trey throw Brown gets by, the pick. That was an amazing throw by Rattler. Sure was. I mean, talk about just fitting it in a tight a tight window. I mean, that that's about as tight as it can get. And yeah, I mean, good coverage by Trey Brown at the end. I mean, the ball wasn't even intended for his guy, but he, he you know, had good awareness. He came off of his man, made the play. Ball game. Finally, mercilessly, this game is over. Took us two hours and four minutes to get through all of that. Yeah, that's whew, one pot a week. Hopefully, you guys like our podcasts. All right, so let's see. I, I got some negative things to say about the defense and positive. Do we go? Do we do good news? Bad? Do we do bad news first? And in one of the good news, or yeah, start with the bad news first. I don't have anything negative to say about the defense. All right, so here's the bad news about the defense, and it's about penalties. And I just looked this up today, guys, and this was, again, not surprising, but also eye-opening. Defensive penalties this season. Buki has been called for four. Buki has five total penalties, including that kick-catch interference penalty against Texas he had early on in the game. Not technically a defensive penalty, special teams penalty. Buki's been flagged four times defensively. Trey Brown's been flagged four times defensively. Pat Fields has been flagged four times defensively. Twelve penalties between the three guys, three defensive backs. The rest of the defense, three. Three total penalties for the rest of the entire defense aside from Buki, Trey Brown, and Pat Fields. Those three penalties are Perrion Winfrey, personal foul against Missouri State in the second half. Okay. Nick Benito went offside against Texas. And then I believe it was Deshaun White who was called for a defensive delay of game against Kansas State. In the uh, stat book, it didn't give it to any particular player, but I think on the broadcast they might have. Oh, I remember that. It was Brian Osamoah. He was calling out their snap count and got someone to jump. My apologies to Deshaun White. Uh, so Brian Osamoa. So the rest of the entire defense has only been penalized three times this year when playing defense. But between Buki, Trey Brown, and Pat Fields, those guys have been penalized 12 times. Guys, that's, that's not good. At bad habits, bad technique, bad form. Teams are picking on these guys. Woody Washington was very good. Jaden Davis is very good. Moving forward, uh, it's it's still gonna it's gonna continue to be a split, I think, between Davis, Washington, and Trey Brown. Uh, Trey Brown made some plays, 
against Texas. Obviously, the the, the last play. Um, but it's just I, I saw Jeremiah Cradell play a little bit of snaps at nickel early on in that game, but not in any high leverage spots. I don't know if he's pushing Buki at all. Uh, but I guess this is just kind of what we're having to live with. We're having to live with uh, a few guys in the team that are high probability compared to the rest of the guys. They're going to be called for penalties. And it's just frustrating. It's just frustrating to me. And I, when the rest of the team, outside of those three guys, for the most part, is staying penalty-free, I guess I'd like to ask a coach, you know, what does that tell you? Like, what, does that mean anything? Is that just a coincidence? I don't know. To me, what it tells me is what I said a second ago. It's just I see poor form, poor, poor technique, grabbing, tugging, pulling, not putting themselves in good spots, getting lost, not trusting technique, and not being confident. And I think every single one of them has had about one that's kind of ticky-tack that's maybe not, not good. But you still you take one away, they're still at three each. And then four for Buki if you consider the, the kick-catch penalty. So I just wanted to put that stat out there. Haven't heard that anywhere else. Uh, that, that's just – it's interesting to me. And it does not reflect well on those three players. You know, um, Brady, uh, Trantham, makes this point a lot. Those three guys, only dudes who are, who are Mike Stoops holdovers. Recruited and coached by Mike Stoops. And Kerry Cooks. And Kerry Cooks, too. Thank you. Coach. More um, specifically, Kerry Cooks, because, I mean, he'd be more in control of them. But also, I think, uh, I, I mean, I, I get it. Yeah, the, 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 the discipline is really disappointing. Um, I think Buki puts, puts much better plays on film than Trey Brown and Pat Fields does, more so. So Buki sometimes makes up for his penalties. Um, I don't know. I, I, I hope we see a lot more of Jaden Davis and Woody Washington going forward. Jaden Davis has been outside of him kind of running out of steam a little bit in the second half of his freshman season. Jaden Davis has been a really good player for OU. Um, he's he's continues to be steady and really solid. I, I don't I don't think he gave up like any completions against Texas that I remember at all. I think they they targeted him a couple times deep and he was in good position to break it up both times. Yep. Um, and of course Woody looked great and uh, DTY. Was was steady. He he didn't. You know, I th- he thought he missed a couple tackles, but I, I think he's he's still not quite up to his uh, to to where he was in the second half of last season. Uh, but hopefully he gets there. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's 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 pretty clear they need to find an answer for for those other guys. They got to get some other guys in there to you know. Josh Eaton got in a you know a couple times. He looked like he, he wasn't ready to play. Yeah, he he didn't. They threw his way one time. He was playing some soft soft coverage and they, they got him on a you know he was playing again soft coverage and they threw it in front of him and he made a made a tackle and but yeah, dj he, graham got in like for one play and he almost gave up a i don't know okay, why that was you know. weird yeah that was weird i didn't say that i had that in my notes they oklahoma got away with one it was uh they're up by two scores in the second half and dj graham number nine and no that's not kenneth murray i, I was confused i was like who was number nine I, he came in looked lost looked like he was responsible for a deep third but then let a receiver run right by him that should have been really easy for him to, to notice, and Sam Ellinger just overthrew the guy by five yards. If not, it's a touchdown. Yeah, what, what I will say about DJ Graham, though, is that he looks like he looks kind of long and kind of tall for, for a defensive back. Yeah. So if you can put some muscle on him and you know, get to the point where he's not totally confused and letting, you know, letting receivers run right by him, 
then yeah, I, I could see him having a physical makeup. But uh, yeah, I thought that was odd that he got in there just kind of randomly in such a big spot too. I mean, that was the fourth quarter. Yeah, yeah, that was weird. Uh, I think it was very late third. Yeah, late third quarter. But yeah, that was that was weird. Uh, all right, so let's play some sound from Alex Grinch. You all, you all maybe, you all maybe have already heard this, but uh, just for the sake of this podcast, and we like to hear from Alex Grinch. Here's what he said on Wednesday. There's stretches of time for long stretches of time where where you know we're almost guilty of being pretty good defense, you know, like we, we almost we you know screw around we we, we do it much longer they're actually going to call us good, um, but we, but we failed to to get that done. Fact check, true. Grant. Yeah, he's right. True, he's right. He's I mean, not it's, wrong at all about that. It's been it's been a handful of plays in in all three you know all three Division One games they've played been a handful of plays um i think and, and i don't know like th- this is maybe where i'm gonna go in i think the front seven has been really good uh you know outside this of some, this is your time to gush on them yeah outside of some some tackling glitches against iowa state i'm just i'm really impressed by the guys they got in there right now um and and the reason why i'm so enthusiastic about it is because i didn't really expect it I, i'm surprised by some guys um you know, I, I like I've been pleasantly surprised by Brian Osamoa. I think he's missed some tackles and he sometimes plays a little out of control, but he's explosive. He's gap sound. He's doing a good job there. Um, I David Igwebu. I uh, clearly I think we disagree about this, but he's a dude. He is he is a like he is he is a very very physically imposing person. Um, I he's a guy who I, I don't I, disagree. Like I, we just disagree on his. His speed, his speed, I, yeah. I, I don't think he's very fast. I, I think he's he's a brute strength throwback, like kind of like an SEC, like big old strong linebacker. He's definitely That's huge. He, like he, does, he does not have you know the the physical makeup of a Big Twelve linebacker. I, I will give you that. Um, but I'm just I, I'm I'm happy just with how he looks out there and the plays that he's making. Um, and a lot of this goes back to he, he was kind of starting to put it together in the second half of last season too. He was making some good athletic plays, and I'm mostly just impressed by the transformation of his body he looks kind of lengthy and wiry and skinny at times last season and now he he i mean he looks like an nfl defensive lineman he looks like an nfl defensive end so um like yeah i just i i think they got a dude in him in the front seven and then the guys that i really just want to call out on the defensive line um isaiah thomas i know we've already kind of talked about him a little bit um i think he's completely replaced uh, you know the production of of Ronnie Perkins. He's filled in really well, and, and that I mean, he is disruptive. He is good in the he's good in the run game. He's getting he's getting really consistent pressure on the quarterback. Uh, so I'm happy with him. I in the spring, kind of before we came on, even in the summer here, I was sort of you know pouring water on people who really expected Perry and Winfrey to come in and make a huge difference. Um, historically. You know, JUCO defensive linemen just don't come in and are really good right away. That's not something that really happens anywhere. Um, I um, and Perry and Winfrey is good. He's that guy. He's difficult to block. Um, I don't know if he's put it all together yet, but his physical attributes are absolutely uh, apparent. I'm happy with him. The guy that I'm happiest with on the defense, and it's because it's just it's so uh, it's so unexpected for me. I thought this guy was going to come in and at best was going to be Dylan Famatau. And that was after maybe a year or two of, of development. Josh Ellison is a player, man. That guy has a motor on him. 
he and he is and and uh he's it seems like he's just pumped up and excited to be out there at all times and you can't you can't do anything to him to knock him off of his spot he just he the con the motor is constantly going with him in the run game he has been so good and i just i did not expect it at all i i um I think there was there was a lot of people in the fan base who were putting a lot of pressure on Perry and Winfrey and Josh Ellison to come in and kind of and kind of replace uh, the presence that uh, that Neville Gallimore provided last season. And man, they're doing it. And I I just I did not expect that at all. I think a lot of credit has to go to Jamar Kane and Calvin Thibodeau, and then of course a lot of credit has got has got to go to those two guys who have come in and they've just played really well. Um, I'm excited about that. I think that's a really big deal. The fact that they can, the fact that they can, they can do whole like wholesale hockey changes on the defensive line, and still and have zero drop off in defending the run, and then also still get consistent pressure on the quarterback. That's not normal, and that's a huge asset for this team. And it makes me even more excited knowing that every single one of those guys is back next season. That's a big deal. Yeah. I- Great job summing up the defensive line. I, I share your, your thoughts. It's just you I, can kind of I, you can kind of see it coming together. You can because I, I you, you so, can see them you can see them building depth on the defensive line. What if they get a guy like Reggie Grimes? You know who is I mean he, he looks physically ready to play Division One college football right now. What if they can get him to put it all together? You know it's what if Ronnie yeah, Perkins it'd, comes it'd back? What if Jalen Redmond comes back? So, yeah, I'll, I'll build off of that because it's important to point this out because what do we all know? I mean, defensive line, front seven, that's incredibly important. We all know that. It all starts up front. you got to stop the run. Uh, I brought it up a little bit last week, and, and I think the Texas game, again, very short sample size, but it's helping me with my theory that I put forth on the last podcast when it comes to Alex Grinch's philosophy in this defense. To me, it looks like his idea of defense is – High risk, high reward, aggressive. Put your defensive backs in high leverage, high uh, difficulty situations. Ask them to make plays because if they can make plays, that then will resonate and then seep down into the defensive line. And if you cover on the back end, that aggressiveness, that attacking type style is going to get to the quarterback and force the quarterback to make decisions or bring him down to the ground. We saw against Texas, Oklahoma cover a lot better than they did against Kansas State and against Iowa State, and it resulted in a lot of sacks. Now, the question is, is that just simply, for whatever reason, the speed D, this system, is really good against Texas's offense? Because last year, Oklahoma dominated Texas as well. Had nine or ten sacks. This year, it was six sacks, a bunch of TFLs. Maybe it's just they really are good at dominating this Texas offense, which is incredibly simple. It's simple. It's just shotgun, handoff left, handoff right to keep the defense honest. RPO, let Sam Ellinger run around. I mean, it's, it's a pretty simple offense. That's what they do. And for the most part, it was shut down until the end of the game. Yeah, but, but this is kind of where it though, comes Oklahoma- in. This is nothing new. They, I, and I know you kind of poo-pooed this last or last week when I said it. OU's defensive line was was really whipping Kansas State and Iowa State up front as well. Like th- okay. this is this and- is continuation from what's happened. This is, and I don't like, I don't think in terms of the Big Twelve, I don't think a lot of teams have offensive lines that are better than Texas's. And Texas's offensive line is not good. That's not what I'm saying. I just think this season in the Big 12, the offensive line is not a strength for a lot of programs. OU is going to really, really dominate some teams up front with their defensive line. going, And it's, it's going to happen with TCU coming up front 
because TCU's offensive line is much more similar to like Iowa State's. It's bad. So if that is the case, and you're right about that, and, and I don't necessarily disagree with you. I think Oklahoma's defensive line has been, has been really good. It's been, been good. Um, it's, my main point, though, is that it's up to the secondary to make the defensive line's efforts worth it and, and get home. They have to help out because if they don't cover in the back end and the ball gets out real quick, it's not going to matter what the defensive line does up front. They might be able to stop the run pretty well, whatever. Teams are just going to be able to throw it around just like Iowa State did and just like Kansas State was able to do in a few situations. So point being is you see Woody Washington come out and play so well. You see Jaden Davis cover really well in the back end. Uh, the safeties, uh, uh, Pat Fields had his issues. DTY didn't really see make any, have any problems. Like, again, Texas didn't really try to stretch the ball down the field that much. Uh, a couple times they did, I guess, it was attacking Jaden Davis. Oh, really? Jaden Davis that was, was able to make some plays. It looked like to me that that was their game plan. They just couldn't do it. They could, they couldn't protect long enough. And like I thought, well, yeah, that was yeah. basically some of the their deep game shots. Plan. Like, their I'm, game plan I'm was forgetting. to take shots downfield on the small DBs. It looked like to me. It, well, yeah, and and when they did, it was Jaden Davis uh, breaking balls up. Woody Washington breaking balls up and getting an interception in the end zone later in the game. So yeah, you're right. I uh, they when they did take shots, Oklahoma had it covered well. What I'm trying to get to is, I'm, I was worried last week about this style of defense, these shortcomings being kind of what we see over and over over again if Oklahoma does not get players into this system. But if Alex Grinch has recruited these guys, which he has, and these are players that can play his system and cover the way he wants to cover, like we think Jaden Davis can, Woody Washington looks like he might be able to, hopefully Eaton can, they get some safeties back there, then maybe this defense actually – can work in the Big 12 because we're kind of seeing the, the roots of it and the idea behind it. It just, it's almost like it's, it's a, the classic example of like, well, you just got to get really good players. And Oklahoma maybe just hasn't had really good players on defense. Well, I shouldn't say maybe. They have it. They just they have not had good enough players to play these types of systems. You know, who knows? Maybe if, if John Haycock was the defensive coordinator at Oklahoma for the last five or six years with these players, maybe Oklahoma's defense would, would be pretty good playing a different style. I don't know. Maybe the, the, the Mike Stoops style, the Ruffa McNeil style, and now the Alex Grinch super aggressive style. For whatever reason, it just does not fit the guys they recruited. But now that Alex Grinch knows what kind of players he wants and you're seeing some success, especially in the front seven, and stopping the run, and then when they can cover like they covered against Texas, it looks really, really good, then that makes me optimistic and gets me a little excited, especially when I see these young players play so well. That's cool. And that's what's getting me excited for the rest of this season. And that's how, like what I watch for. That's what I'm getting interested in. Yeah, like it's, and so that's, what, like, that's kind of one of the messages I was trying to get through to you is that every season is different. And that even, you know, even in those even in those three previous seasons that I mentioned that were disappointing, they didn't have really good years and they were out of the national title picture really early. The season always still kind of recovers and it turns into something else. If you're a fan of the program, there's always things that you can look forward, uh, you know, towards that, that are going to put value in the season. And I've already moved on. They're not going to win a national title this year. I'm pumped to watch them develop this year. I'm pumped for them to, to see these young guys, maybe chase a big 12 title. Um, and you know, and they're going to have to they win stay out. in it. Hopefully mentally they stay in it. Hopefully they, they mentally engaged. stay in it, and um, and that's you know. that's and if they keep winning, they will. That's the that that's the biggest concern is if like you know a loss and then they start to tune out and like whatever. So, but yeah, I mean this so, is yeah. this is that's Lincoln Riley's challenge is keeping all of these guys engaged. 
um, realizing that you are building towards something and that, you know, the seniors that are still there right now, you, you can still fight for a Big 12 title, and that is important. And, hell, man, you don't know what's going to happen as the season progresses. Florida just had to shut down their football ops because of COVID and stuff like that. Who says that's not gonna, that same stuff's not going to happen to Ohio State without any added bye weeks added, or added in? Who says that same stuff's not going to happen to Penn State or Alabama? You know, I mean, things could get weird, and I, I don't want to be looking forward to that, but just kind of focus on the young guys. See it all sort of, you know, see guys start to put it together. And I share, I share your optimism for the defense because when I go through all of those guys that have impressed, impressed me in the front seven, it's like I pick guys out and I'm like, okay, I know Benito is a dude. That, guy's, that guy right now is about as good as Obo was three years ago. Um, let's see here. I, I, I already mentioned Aguebu. I like Asamoah because he's explosive. We know that we might get Jalen Redmond and Ronnie Perkins back next season at some point in time. Um, Woody Washington, Jaden Davis, we know about. DTY is great in the box. And so, yeah, it's, it's, you start to say to yourself, geez, man, if they can have a guy kind of come out of nowhere and be able to cover, which I don't think is like, I mean, that's not, that, that could happen. Look, uh, Latrell McCutcheon they got coming in. It looks great. I, I talk about guys who I'm not very you know impressed seeing on tape in terms of high school. Latrell McCutcheon looks freaking awesome. That guy could come in and start right away. So, I mean, it's it's pretty easy to start to see. It's like, okay, okay, they got a dude here. They got a dude here. Another dude there. It's it's pretty easy to start to rationalize in your mind, okay, maybe they got something here. And, like, it's... And another thing that I think that we've kind of... Uh, that, we've, that we sort of have just kind of papered over and we haven't really talked about a lot, which has been a massive improvement from last season, OU is holding teams to field goals in the red zone this year. And that's after being what, the worst Power 5 team in the country in the red zone and allowing touchdowns? I mean, that's something to build towards. They, like, they're, you know, they, they held Iowa State and Texas to, you know, to field goals a majority of the time when they got inside the 20 these last two games. That's a big deal. Well, I don't think they held Texas the majority of the time because they were able to punch it in. Oh, I suppose, yeah. But, they only kicked one field goal, didn't they? Yeah, I, Why did I, I think they I, kicked I two field goals? I, I wouldn't hang my hat on that, right? Iowa State, it was, it was good in the first half. Uh, other than that, I mean, they, holding them to a field goal, Texas, that first field goal drive, that was good. Other than that, it, there, it, eh. it's, it's, it's really hard for me to explain how much better their run defense is. Their run defense is so much better. and yeah, like it's, it's really good. Last season, last season, it did seem like they were selling out to stop the run, and that's why they would give up a ton of explosive plays in the run game. This year, there are no explosive plays in the run game. They're not even there. They're not there for a cutback lane. They're not there for well, a... Well, Deuce Vaughn would uh, disagree with you, but your point's well taken. That was one play. They were discombobulated <laughs> and looking at their, at, at their wrists when it was snapped. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you mentioned that uh, you know, who knows what's going to happen, right? Like It's 2020, blah, blah, blah. It's a cliche by now. I, you said you're not on Twitter much, much at all. Uh, I just saw this. This is pretty interesting considering uh, the team and the game is this Saturday. But uh, one Nick Saban has COVID. And they play Georgia this Saturday. Oh, very so interesting. How is that, that going to work? There you go. He's not, he's not, I mean, I would assume he's not going to be there. He's not going to be there for sure. He's going to have to, uh, I guess, coach on zoom <laughs> i i my my get yeah it'll be zoom i i, I guarantee or, he's going to be plugged in he's going to know exactly what's going on but or it's 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 nick saban he's i can totally see them 
I'm, I'm sure he's fine. And like they dedicate part of the press box for him or something by himself. And he coaches from the press box or something. I can't imagine they do that. He's got to be, he's got COVID. He's got to be in quarantine. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. He's going to have to, he's going to be in a bed. He's going to be at home. I'm looking at uh, Cecil Hurt, who is an Alabama beat writer. He says that Saban directed football practice from home today. So that's, uh, yeah, that's super a, interesting. Alabama's going to win that game, and you don't have to look any further than just look at the quarterback matchup. Alabama's going to win that game. Yeah, so they may not even need Nick Saban to be on the sidelines, but uh, Georgia may may have the best, the, like the most efficient defense, like in the last twenty years or whatever, per like the analytics or whatnot. But I don't know. Every time that Mac Jones has stepped on the field in his career so far, he has just absolutely lit up the defense in front of him. And yeah. something named Stetson Bennett is the quarterback for Georgia, and he's a walk on. So. It's it, it's it's pretty obvious what's going to happen in that game. But of course, I, hey, I'm the guy yet, who said that uh, Kansas yeah. State's bad and they're not going to win games and they're three and zero in the Big Twelve. So, yeah, I mean, you you're really I I, I kind of you know it's it's my fault. I I let you get away with with certain things without challenging you, and I should. And you know, it's it's my lack of confidence. But uh, I I just you really go hard on some of these these Big Twelve teams like Kansas State like. They're not bad. They never were bad. I mean, I, I, I get that. I, maybe it's because you're so hyperbolic with everything. And they have a really good coach. I, I mean, they're going to end up, you know, they're going to probably lose a game they shouldn't or two games they shouldn't because they always do that. You're like, how is Kansas State losing to West Virginia? Like, what is <laughs> – come on, guys. Like, but then, you know, maybe they'll win another game they're not supposed to. Maybe they'll knock off – maybe they'll beat Oklahoma State. I, like you know I, I mean? say – when I say that Kansas State is bad, it basically means that like the big time programs in the country right now outside of the Big 12 would not mess around with Kansas State at all and they would absolutely squash them. Alabama <laughs> would destroy Kansas State. Yeah, Ohio I mean, State Bama, would Clemson, destroy State. Kansas State. Georgia would kill Kansas State. Like it's just it 100% would happen. That's what I mean. You Kansas State pretty much only gets away with this in the Big 12. <laughs> all right. Well, this has been by far our longest podcast. Uh, kudos to all you or, or to all you super diehard fans for sticking around for this long. But yes, obviously, Kansas State is a well-coached, good team. I will, I will relent, and I will, I will say that I was wrong. All right. If you're listening this long, you really love the show. I realize we haven't done three-word reviews on the show the last couple of times. Not going to do it this week either because we've gone two and a half hours. I appreciate all of you that actually send them in. Uh, we're, see- we're seeing them, uh, and we should probably bring it back at some point. Just wanted to get that last thing in there. Grant, any final parting shots you want to get out? Uh, just nib high football rules. That's all. Yes, they do. All right, we're done for the day. Oklahoma plays at TCU on the 24th, so that means we'll be back next week to preview that game. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.